the seven seas A mystical quest To the Isle of Tortuga Raving like a swing On the ocean's breeze oh, From the day he was born He yearned for adventure Oh, Captain Jack Website celebritynetworth.com before. Oh, of course. You gotta see, um, you know, you gotta see what our boy, uh, John C. Riley is worth and all those yeah. other guys. Yeah. Probably surprising amount. I've always felt it was a little, like, creepy. Like, I'm peeking through their windows or something like that. Mm. Uh, but I looked up Jerry Bruckheimer this morning. The first person I've ever looked up on Celebrity Net Worth. Mm. Did you know that Jerry Bruckheimer? Is worth a billion dollars. Oh my god! Yeah, he's a billionaire. I, you know, I should have could have guessed it, but yeah, let me. The fact that he like bought like a a sports team—that's like a yeah. good indicator. That's a good. By all accounts, too, he might be like on the ground floor of bringing the Seattle SuperSonics basketball team back to Seattle too, because he's had such great success with um the Seattle hockey team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got you. Got to hand it to him, a um, a honorary Seattleite, Jerry Bruckheimer. Uh, but a, a couple of interesting things that I learned on mm-hmm. CelebrityNetWorth.com, Jerry Bruckheimer. He consistently earns throughout the 2000s. He consistently earned around eighty to hundred million dollars per year, simply thanks to CSI residuals and Pirates of the Caribbean box office profits. He um, owns real estate all over the country, including a 400-acre estate outside in Ojai mm-hmm. and a 1,600-acre horse farm in Kentucky because his wife, Linda, is a passionate horse girl. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, he has a 120-foot professional-level ice skating rink on the Kentucky estate. And in the nearby town of Bloomfield, Kentucky, because they have put so much money into being the richest residents around this little town, they are his wife is considered the fairy godmother of Bloomfield. Oh my God! He, he and Jerry Bruckheimer Films is is located in a fifteen thousand square foot commercial space in Santa Monica. We should we should do a field trip. Oh man! Yep. He owns a Gulfstream private jet, and um, he is the third most successful um, money-making producer in the history of Hollywood, behind Kathleen Kennedy, who, of course, you know, started off with Kenny Marshall, but produces the Star Wars movies. Yeah, and, Kev- and Kevin Feige, which makes Jerry Bruckheimer all the more impressive because. He developed and basically created all of his shit. Yeah. He didn't have pre- the pre-existing properties. I mean, outside of one big one today that we'll talk about, but it was still like, guarantee you this, every single person who said, we're going to make a giant blockbuster movie based on a stupid ride, thought he was insane. 
Yeah, well, and it's like there's not a like a, a bit on that ride, and it's really it's a fun ride. Like I like it's going a, on uh, that. It's a top fiver for me. We'll get into it. Oh yeah, easily. Yeah, it's easily a top fiver for me as well. But like, it's not like that ride has a plot or like any yeah. like yeah. It, it's nuts. Needless, it's nuts... needless to say, though, I was impressed mm-hmm. with our guy Jerry's accomplishments. And we have more this week. Hello, and welcome to the award-winning podcast, The Academy Academy, the show that discovers the absolute, undeniable, and scientifically proven greatest performance of your favorite actor's esteemed career. I'm Don Saunderson, and I got a whiskey voice today, because it's my... <laughs> we'll see how long this lasts. <laughs> Ooh, sounds like you were stranded in an island for a while with only rum to drink. Oh, yo-ho-ho. And I'm Patrick Gremion, and uh, yeah, Don has a, a monkey on his... Uh, on his shoulder and it's named patrick too it's yeah i named it i named it after you welcome (laughs) to the academy and welcome to a visionary alliance a simpson bruckheimer digression part six holy cow holy so many so many digressions so many digressions and we are at a um i would argue today is a a turning point in the world in the world of jerry bruckheimer hmm um, I was thinking about it, and so in the earlier iterations of this digression, he was doing movies like Crimson Tide, Con Air, Thief of Hearts, mm. like movies t- distinctly pointed at adults or For like sure. teenage boys, college boys, give or take. Mm-hmm. Then what I didn't realize when we did this episode are – Gone in 60 Seconds, Coyote Ugly, remember the Titans episode, feels like a bridge episode to me. He's getting kind of the last, he's squeezing the last juice out of kind of those like kid arrives in the city, Nicolas Cage like action vehicles or like the sports drama. Mm-hmm. But they're all transitioning to a younger audience because we were complaining about Gone in 60 Seconds being PG-13. Coyote Ugly, we rightfully declared a teenage girl sleepover movie. Yeah. And uh remember the Titans is a high school movie, basically. Yep. It's like a high school, it's or it's like a middle school a teacher who doesn't feel like teaching his kids, has a hangover. Gonna just plop mm-hmm. this in, you're gonna learn a lesson. Yeah, and I think what makes him such a successful producer, even if it doesn't make us who want like another the rock <laughs> in our lives. Mm-hmm. What makes him so successful is he could smell the tides the turning. Yeah, he, he has a pulse. He has a and finger on the pulse. So while those movies in the year 2000, that those three that we talked about a few episodes ago came out, in the meantime, I think three very important things happened in movies. Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, mm. the first X-Men, and most importantly, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And those predate, you know, the Marvel, DC, Harry Potter cycle, Mm -hmm. but not by much. And they, Lord of the Rings in particular, convinced audiences, convinced producers and that audiences had a hunger for these, like, frankly, never ending series. Yeah. And well, and also like they have a a hunger for like the grand scale spectacle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think uh, the other ones, too, is the Matrix sequels were around this time period, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, which were still for adults because they're R-rated. But at the same time, it was creating mythologies, creating this gigantic scale and scope 
they bid the bigger the blockbuster and also the more um four quadrant family friendly mm-hmm. picture because two of our three today are incredible like have moments but i would argue are family friendly like sit down with the family at thanksgiving or go with the family to the movie theater in the summer when you got nothing else to do with movies like unless unless you're my dad you know the family's <laughs> not the family's not all going to see con air together <laughs> like you know <laughs> god bless him thank you dad <laughs> but but yeah and looking at it so i think and then also we would be remiss not to discuss too because that one of the movies today the massive success of titanic and the mm. massive success of saving private ryan yeah like, <laughs> also like but brooke looking for ways to find stories that hit those check those marks that he doesn't have to be the first one mm-hmm. to to take dive into that pond, but he can refine it and make a satisfact like a audience pleaser himself out of that mold. But with also without having to like spend the dough to get the rights to like Harry Potter or get the rights to you know uh, you know get in on the Star Wars world or something like that. Like mm-hmm. he still develops these himself. Yeah, he doesn't need a uh, he doesn't need to be propped up by a big budget IP. No, but he kind of learned quick that it helps with yeah. one of these movies today, or to actually two of them, like both mm-hmm. became franchises. So of course we're talking about 2001's Pearl Harbor, 2003's Pirates of the Caribbean: The Curse of the Black Pearl, and 2004's National Treasure. Um, Pearl Harbor is currently on HBO Max. That's where I watched it. I imagine you may have watched it uh, in that format, too. Uh, I watched it on the... I uh, did another Prime. I did it on the Prime for some mm. reason. But I got a lot of great little tidbits about... Uh, you did. I, you, <laughs> you're, the... you're texting me screenshots of some facts. Or some, some facts. Some facts. Uh, <laughs> but as Patrick mentioned, if you don't have HBO Max, it's readily available everywhere. It's got a Blu-ray. Mm. Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean is on Disney+. Plus. Oh yeah, it's on the streaming all, of the, but you can rent it. You can get on mm-hmm. Blu-ray. I watched it on an original, first run, a DVD it was how I watched Fires of the Caribbean for this screening that I bought in 2003. It's a DVD <laughs> that probably hasn't seen the light of day in some time. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I think it, there, it has been collecting dust for a decade, probably. Yeah, yeah for sure. Because I was like, I just don't see you as a pirates guy. I mean, I don't think you hate we'll it. We'll talk but, about my reaction yeah. to it in a sec here, but yeah, it's like, um, but I'm not, you know, as our longtime listeners know, it's not. I'm not exactly like a uh, franchise, unless that franchise is written by a very sad and embittered Norwegian <laughs> memoirist. <laughs> yeah, my, fa- my favorite franchise, The World of My Struggle by Carl Ave Knellsgaard. Um, <laughs> yeah, you need, man, we need to get Jerry Bruckheimer a copy of that. Oh, I know. He'd really get it. I think he'd really get it. This guy who just sits in his garden, kind of just wondering where it all went wrong or right, but kind of, th- but telling us about it nonstop in extensive form. Um, and then National Treasure uh, is currently on Disney Plus as well, as well as all mm-hmm. the streaming services and Blu-ray. I rented that one on of uh, Amazon Prime. That's how I, I watched see, that. 
Seems like someone uh, isn't up to date on the latest episodes of uh, Andor. No, I, I is that a is that a new dish at a restaurant you went to recently? <laughs> yeah, I'll be Andor. Yeah, I'll be Andor and uh, mild, please. Yeah, couple Grogu's on that. I have um, I get the tummy rumblies, so I gotta have a mildly <laughs> tasting Andor. <laughs> please, <laughs> my stomach is so weak. What My stomach works? is so weak. Oh, so mm-hmm. weak. So, uh, first movie we're going to be discussing today is Pearl Harbor. Now, just to get mm-hmm. into th- ahead of things, um, we could go be going long, so we just might tease out that this could be a double episode. We'll see how this goes. I don't mm-hmm. know. We, yeah, we, we plan things to by you know by the comma. This is so. This is a deeply scripted pod, but you know sometimes things can happen. You know. Yeah. Yeah, we're like the Aaron Sorkin of podcasters. If someone, if we have a guest, we give them the script, and if they get off the, you know, one line off the script, we have to start all over again. I know, I know. That was why Jeff Daniels was let go from our. He he tried to improvise a bit. Yeah, he was supposed to be the third co-host. It didn't work. It didn't work with Jeff. He had some great. uh, So we wrote some great uh, speeches about like the value of liberty in the age of the iPod Plus. But we also kind of asked him about getting his tongue stuck on that pole and Dumb and Dumber, and got kind of <laughs> st- stuck there for a long time too. Yeah, we were like, ah, why didn't you play Randy Quaid's role in Kingpin? What a missed opportunity! <laughs> Randy Quaid was funny, but you're right. You're right. You could have. You really would have done a good job. Hmm. I like would have liked to see him with Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson was at the Lakers last night. Star studded Laker game last night. I don't know if you saw Jack Ooh. was there again. His third Ooh. game. Third Jack's game back. of the playoff. Jack's back, baby. You love to see it. Anyway, Pearl Harbor. Patrick, had you seen Pearl Harbor before? Not at all. I've never okay. never all I know about it all I knew about it was it's like, you know, it's a uh, ignominious uh, you know. Uh, reputation exactly yeah just it seems like yeah always heard it was not a great film so i watched it um when it came out on dvd in 2001 at my parents house mm-hmm. um my mom is a fan of Pearl Harbor. interesting <laughs> and i said on the phone i was like it's not good and my dad was like yeah it's not good and my mom was like i liked it <laughs> like yeah but I think it's like, I think that she could let go of, she got invested in the love story, basically, mm-hmm. which for the, some of us, that was a little harder. Yeah. Uh, Pearl Harbor is, of course, directed by Michael Bay. This is Michael Bay and Jerry Bruckheimer's follow-up collaboration to uh, the massive success of Armageddon. Mm-hmm. Bay is a sensationally huge director at this mm-hmm. point but also kind of the uh shorthand for all that is wrong and with uh filmmaking at this point in time in 2001 um we kind of talked about that before with our some of our earlier episodes but he's really reached a nadir of this with this with this movie mm-hmm. uh because um we've praised mr bay before for knowing who he was and knowing kind of his uh his lane 
He's like a yeah. He he knows that like deep down, or at least he knew before maybe making this film that he was like a precocious twelve year old that got bigged into the body yeah. of the director. <laughs> yellow yellow Lamborghinis, babes, <laughs> Miami gunfights. The these are the kind of things we expect mm-hmm. from Michael Bay. A um epic historical drama we don't necessarily expect from Michael Bay. Despite the fact that in this movie, Patrick, I he does all of his Michael Bay stuff and then some. Yeah. We yeah, we're, there's a lot of similarities to his previous previous output. Yes. <laughs> and I think, you know, as we dive in here, I think this the thing about this movie, it exposes him. Mm. It kind of exposes just how far he can go if you want to go in that direction of like prestige. He's really, really good at like making a film like Ambulance or a film like The Rock. Mm-hmm. But if you ask him to think a little bit harder about the themes and the ideas behind his movies, yeah, he gets exposed. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's interesting because you see, like, he, he employs many of his classic Bay tricks, and it's interesting to see, like, oh, this is a thing that clearly, you know, these swooshing camera. Uh, moves they work in a, an action film like The Rock, but maybe when it's like a a somber, you know, romantic drama, it doesn't have quite the same effect. Or you know, like or it, yeah. or, or a true story reenactment of one of the greatest national tragedies of all time, and when you're swooshing and diving during a very real life attack sequence perhaps it might leave some viewers with a little queasy but I had a little bit of I had a too spicy of an Andor with this movie Ooh. I had an upset stomach perhaps <laughs> after, after watching <laughs> after the pummeling attack sequence um, that starts off like wow this is pretty uh, like the scope is pretty amazing Mm-hmm. But then when you're about 35, 40 minutes into it, you're like, oh, this is getting like a little much, man. Yeah. And then when you're like, when the whole sequence would probably last somewhere between 45 minutes to an hour is done. And you look at your like, you know, little like uh, line that determines how much time you have left. And you see that you still have like an hour and 15 minutes left of movie. That's that's when that's when it gets grim. That's when it's like, oh, no, it makes you think. <laughs> You start that yeah. you you know you start that you really like you look out the window and it's raining and you kind of put your arms on the windowsill and you're like really I gotta be with Rafe and Danny still goose and goose all these, and the, all these characters these classic the guy, characters classic some classic characters so <laughs> the story to Pearl Harbor what surrounds the well known you know mm-hmm. um what December. December 7th, 1941. A day will live in infamy that I don't remember the day of. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, the attack that launched the United States entry into World War II, essentially. This, the surprise attack by the Japanese Navy on the U.S. Army, on the U.S. bases in uh, Pearl Harbor in Hawaii. Um, we know that. Massive historical 
circumstance. Mm -hmm. But perhaps, Patrick, I don't know if you knew that um, about Rafe McCauley and Danny Walker <laughs> mm. <laughs> and these flat these flyboys. Movie opens in 1923, Tennessee, mm. with two with we meet um, two best buds, Rafe McCauley, yeah. <laughs> the the wonderfully named Rafe McCauley, and the um, e frankly equally wonderfully named Danny Walker. And they're uh, playing in a plain old biplane, pretend to be airmen. Oh yeah, boy! It, it is like uh, straight out of like it looks like they're hanging out at the Pumpkinhead farm. Yeah, like you expect a pumpkin head to come out of nowhere. And we learned quickly that Rafe is a uh, fearless adventuresome guy who's mm -hmm. also an, who is also even as a child an idiot, <laughs> like supreme. <laughs> Just a total, yeah. You, oh God, it does feel like the beginning of like walk hard. Like you really expect yeah. one of these kids to die oh. in a machete accident. Oh, it would thousand percent feels like the beginning of walk hard. Definitely, like <laughs> wrong kid died. It feels like it's all there, like from yeah. the start all the <laughs> way down to their dad. Is it Danny's dad? I think. I, I think it's Danny's dad. The kids are impossible no. to tell apart. I think it's Rafe's dad, actually, because I think is well. I guess it depends on which which one attacks the dad. See, that's <laughs> I don't remember. I think it's Rafe. Okay, you're right. Then I think it's Danny's dad. Then if Rafe attacks the dad, then I think it's yeah, Danny's. He, dad. It's he, all crazy. Accuses him of his German heritage, <laughs> and his dad is played by, which gave me hope. It honestly gave me hope because William Victor shows up as the dad. Great cameo. For, Great cameo, and it's like, okay, I'm in Bruckheimerville, Bruckheimer Bayville. If William <laughs> yes. Victor is here, like, and he's, he's he has satisfied us as fans of these movies many a times over. Mm -hmm. He's got space dementia. Never, that's something I'm never gonna forget. <laughs> space dementia. I feel, like I, I feel like I had space dementia watching this fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> if I didn't get it watching Armageddon, I definitely got it watching Pearl Harbor. <laughs> I know. Okay. So then um, he, he accuses him of being a German because it's we're around World War One time period. But when Victor gives a comes because, again, he's terrific. He's like, uh, 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 and he gives like a speech about like heroism in America and like fighting and like a bunch of bland bullshit. He's but, like, I may, I may be German, but I actually fought the Germans in World right. War One, And I was a hero. And maybe someday you can be a hero, Rafe, if you yeah. if you pull it together. Well, yeah. he does pull it together because in January of 1941, we meet up with the boys again. And now Ooh. Danny and Rafe are played by... Danny is Josh Hartnett, of course, of Black Hawk Down. Mm -hmm. Classic hunk. A classic hunk, but even, perhaps even more classic hunk. Rafe is played by Ben Affleck. Ooh. Now, which immediately kind of gives me, begins this process for me with both these guys. Mm -hmm. For a movie set in 1941 that has all the money in the world, mm. did you ever feel like you were transported to 1941 at all? Hmm. Not, you know what? I will say that maybe, like, they have occasionally have these scenes with, like, you know, there's like a female group that's kind of like parallel to the boy yeah. group, and they're all kind of dressed in period garb, and some of them kind of talk like this, like they talk like they're so that and group. They is go like to a, a jazz club like once, but yeah, 
That was when I texted you Michael Bay should direct a musical when they go to that jazz club because he like swoops in on the band like he's Damien Chazel or something like that and like is doing all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, and like a musical, you don't have to like, because it's all flash. He could like have all the fun in the world. Yeah. Doing all these like dance sequences and songs and stuff like that and not have to worry too much about historical implications. God, yeah. Or like, yeah, or <laughs> any truth. And it's like, there are so many factual errors in this. And, just... and like, and he shouldn't be too like caught up with those. But I feel like, I don't know. We don't want to be actually viewers, but this is a sensitive topic. Yeah. Like, that's a, to me, like, so. Strike one against it, strike and a positive for Titanic. James Cameron totally gives a shit about every single aspect of he's the Titanic. A, he's an obsessive like, freak, like which yes, helps, which helps, which makes it. I was talking about it with my dad and he's like, yeah, that's why Titanic's good. Like he cares about every one of those details. Michael mm -hmm. Bay doesn't and it's an interesting thing yeah he's he he cares only about aesthetic and mm -hmm. you can tell like there's like for example there's like a scene there's like they have scenes with like the the japanese military planning pearl harbor uh -huh. and all and all of their scenes like have like they have the japanese flags and all that like stuff and it, they take place outside or whatever and they're all giving speeches that allude to the fact this might be a pro we've woke a sleeping giant oh, God, I hate it's like that nonstop. and we've got all of these very very classy actors delivering those lines including mako who plays the um who plays the um, Yamamoto, the fleet admiral. And then, um, I don't know if you saw him, Kerry Hiroyuki Tagawa from Rising Sun. Great actor. One of, one of, a favorite of ours. He was in it too. And they, again, like they do their best mm -hmm. with like the surface level cheese mm -hmm. that is like constantly being shoveled at and, every and single it, one of these actors. And, and it's not even like good cheese. This is like, this is like craft slices being jammed jammed down your throat, and it works on a burger. Works on a yeah. you know get a slice, but like this isn't burger cinema, baby. You don't make a burger movie well, about Pearl yeah, Harbor. <laughs> you don't make a burger movie about Pearl Harbor, and you don't expect people to treat your burger like it's filet mignon. Exactly. They they thought they had filet mignon, and yeah. they're still putting cheese slices on it. Yeah, I know. It's like they you don't put a craft single on filet mignon. So, um, but I did kind of like the structure of the opening sequence where it was the nurses <laughs> mm -hmm. led by Evelyn Johnson, played by Kate Beckinsale. Um, <laughs> her on a train telling the backstory about mm -hmm. meeting Rafe. And I kind of liked the time bouncing there. I thought that was an interesting that they didn't do again in mm. the movie at all. But structurally, I found it kind of like a fun, jaunty way to like introduce everybody. Mm -hmm. But this movie's also probably should not be considered fun nor jaunty at any yeah. time either. Not enough uh, fun. Not enough Johns. Yeah. So uh, the boys are both now first lieutenants. World War II is raging. Mm -hmm. They're under the command of Major Jimmy Doolittle. We'll get to him in an hour. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you get like a cameo. You get a taste of him. And they, you know, 
they're getting ready. They want to be fly boys. And Doolittle informs Rafe that he has been accepted into the Eagle Squadron, which is a RAF outfit. And it, it, one of many times, the second he joins up with the RAF outfit, I, I just wanted to be watching Dunkirk. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, it is like one of those things where, like, yeah, you watch this and you're like, you can't help but be like, Dunkirk did it better. Uh, this part, the bat, the like, the big, like, centerpiece attack sequence. You know, like both Saving Private Ryan did the attack version, and then Titanic did the whole historical. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, like boat goes six for an hour in Titanic too. Yeah, well, and like Titanic is just as schmaltzy as this movie. It's not like it's really is interesting seeing like how Titanic works and how this doesn't. Because I feel like in some ways they're so close to each other. Like they well, have so. This is trying to get all of that. Right down to the fact that Faith Hill song that closes the credits. Mm. You know, it's it's the same exact deal. They're like, we're going to make it. It's Titanic at Pearl Harbor. But again, none of them have James Cameron's like psychotic enthusiasm and obsession. Mm-hmm. Nor um, they are doing it because they're trying to make another Titanic. Mm-hmm. James Cameron does not exist within the vacuum of other movies. He's doing what he believes in, which is the man. best way to be, man. That's yeah, how you no, make movies. There's no like cynicism involved. Yeah. There's no like, you know, attempt to like, you know, it's not just some attempt to get respect they feel like they're owed. He is is like I'm going to make a ton of money and get the Oscars, but those are rewards for my dream. Like, I know we talk him up all the time and how much we love him, but we love him. <laughs> like, there's just yeah, no way around. He he has a vision, and he can like it. He, no matter how insane it is, he achieves it. It's he's ludicrous, yeah. and like, he, and, yeah. I, and and Bay just uh, doesn't have that like breadth of. He doesn't have that scope. He doesn't have that like. He doesn't have that like. Design, he just, it feels just doesn't like, have that vision. He, yeah, he it, he's making a movie. James Cameron wants to save the world and change the world. Yeah, because like yeah, because because Michael like he's not like trying to like like Pearl Harbor. It feels like the historical stuff is like tacked in. Like everything you get, like every like it's like he feel it feels like the screenplay person, the person who wrote the screenplay, read like World War Pearl Harbor for dummies. And then put in all those classic clothes, like we've awakened the sleeping giant and this and that. And every like every like fact your war uncle tells you, yeah, you know, at Thanksgiving. And it doesn't go any deeper than that. <laughs> I also think, too, um, this movie is in reaction to other movies. Like, you remember how you felt when the in the D-Day mm-hmm. Normandy beach scene in Saving Private Ryan? Wasn't that like harrowing and realistic? Well, we're going to do it. Do you remember yeah. the romantic feelings you felt around this the historical drama of Titanic? Well, we're going to do it. Do you remember all the cool jets and like brotherhood from Top Gun? Well, that's there too. And it's just this mishmash of bullshit with no soul behind it. Basically. Yeah. It's trying to be everything and and it fails to be a single thing. It's a bummer. Yeah. It's a because this could have been good. There's a great yeah. Pearl Harbor movie still to be made. Yes. 
you know, and you could use the technology we have now to even do more with it. Um, not to say that one of the one of the things that you know this movie does have going for it in spades is the scope and the uh, special effects and all of the like the mechanic and the machinery of this is mm-hmm. very is very impressive, but it's in service of a car with no engine. Mm-hmm. So he gets accepted to the RAF outfit for American pilots during the Battle of Britain. Uh, but he's Rafe's fallen in love. Yeah, Evelyn and Evelyn has fallen in love with Rafe, and they they go they jaunt around town and they dance and they go on dates and it's yep. all. If you thought that scene where Ben Affleck is like eating crackers off of Liv Tyler's stomach in Armageddon was appalling, that's every scene in this Ooh, that's romantic. From the, the from the ham-fisted attempts to make him seem sheepish, where he's like, "Uh, can I? Uh, do you want to go to donor? I mean, dinner? Like, there's yeah. a million scenes like that." Ben Affleck shouldn't play dumb. He's no. actually he is an intelligent guy, mm-hmm. and you could see it. You could see he's an intelligent actor. Like, he got miscast a lot in the early two thousands, and this is probably, let's be honest, the most egregious. The, yeah. Like, yeah, this is, yeah, because it's like it almost, because like, yeah, his character almost veers towards simple Jack territory. It is, it's rough. For no reason other than he's like scrambling to find any life in this mm-hmm. character. And then poor Kate Beckinsale is just strapped with the stupidest lines imaginable. Like, yeah. nonstop. And, you know, we talked a little bit about with William Fichter, we'll talk about with some of these other supporting actors, like all three of these actors, Affleck, Beckinsale, and Hartnett, I think were just so young in their careers. They couldn't mm-hmm. really make magic out of, you know, the, yeah. most, the most surface level dialogue. It's, like in the same way, like William Victor could or some of these others. And they, they're they stranded on a damn life in on a lifeboat in the middle of the ocean at times, it feels. Yeah, they're, yeah, these these poor souls are just, yeah, just like, you know, waiting, trying to fight off Jaws. You know, they're on that last piece of of uh, of uh, driftwood. Uh, it's yeah, yeah it's, it's just a and yeah, and it makes you wonder, too, like if you got like a more seasoned, interesting actor or like, uh, like who some... it would be who's that young. Who also that's the is problem. young enough to play that role too? That's like, yeah, because it, it has to be a young actor. It has to be. It's tough. They have to like be have like a precociously great, like a Marlon Brando or something like that. You know? Which yeah, I feel like we'd already like gotten rid of those by this time. You know, maybe like you get like you'd have maybe you do something insane, like you get like Adrian Brody. <laughs> well, you know who you know who I guarantee it went out to for Ray first was Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, guarantee, he and he like no thanks. Yeah, and yeah. it's funny because like he's not always like. You know, he's not always like the best choice maker. You know, we've seen some of his movie lesser films or whatever, but like he, he he's pretty he, he's he's among the best at like smelling bullshit on the wall. He, exactly. He can yeah, and in this one, you know, it doesn't take, you know, a super genius either to read this script and be like, oof. Good but luck. I'm sure I'm sure <laughs> they all got paid very well. And yeah, you know, true. and I think that there's probably a part of Affleck is like that. Ah, it's a big movie. I get to play this big like World War Two war hero. Yeah, God. I mean, who who wouldn't? Who and wouldn't? Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. In, in the movies like this, yeah, this is like it's the, going to be the biggest movie of the year. You get to like be the number one on the call sheet in the biggest movie of the year. 
Yeah, well, and it's like, yeah, and you think in your head, too, probably, like, oh, well, Michael Bay is probably owed, like, a, an Oscar at this point, or Bear Brokheimer, definitely. Yeah. Like, they haven't had their, their, their claim to fame yet, so. Um, so, what happens, though, is, like, Rafe immediately gets shot down in mm-hmm. England. Decla- his ass is declared dead. Ooh. I mean, we know, as movie fans, it's like, it's Ben Affleck. <laughs> like, yeah. Something's gonna happen here. <laughs> there was like two or three minutes where I was kind of like, "Oh wow, they're getting rid of the, the this." Uh, you know, I, I, yeah, interesting. Could have been good, but then like, I don't know. As soon as Josh Hartnett starts, as soon as that so stuff starts happening, almost yeah. immediately, Danny swoops in and starts wooing Evelyn, <laughs> and they have sex in parachutes, which is a wild sex scene if there ever was one. Here is a piece of subtext that none of them probably addressed on set. Danny totally wants to fuck Rafe, too. Yeah. And yeah. how much more interesting would that have been if it had been a true love triangle? <laughs> Man, if he was like, yeah, because like, and then like, you have a story there that's interesting because it's like, you know, yeah. the social mores of the, our time, you know, don't allow us to be like this. And he probably doesn't even know because he's so like ignorant, you know what I mean? But he yeah. has those feelings, even though he has those feelings. But that's not a Bay thing, because I kept thinking about the movie uh, From Here to Eternity while watching this as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen that before. It's the, you know, the big 40s. Yeah, it's like Sinatra, Robert Montgomery. Yeah, I think it's uh, Burt Lancaster. Ooh. Uh, and it's like, um, you know, war drama. It's set during the Pearl Harbor attack occurs mm-hmm. in that. And but it's very... Um, like grounded drama, human drama between mm-hmm. the characters. Um, and just Michael Bay's not capable of that, despite the fact that that was like, that's how I would do it. I would go in that direction too. Like just make it about this. And then this tragedy occurs, which puts them all on alert. Like, Oh, there are bigger things or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. and you just end it mm-hmm. after the attack. And one of them dies in the attack or something like that. Um, that's not how this movie works. Uh, so Rafe or Danny is now with Evelyn. They're totally frightened. They're in love. <laughs> they fall in love very easily. And we meet um, some of the other crew. Yeah. Uh, who are around. I guess around. There's yeah. a group of nurses. There's a group of pilots slash mechanics types. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the nurses are um, Jamie King, Catherine Kellner, and Sarah Rue and uh, probably most notably Jennifer Garner is mm-hmm. one of the nurses in one of her earliest um, roles. I think she does a very good job too. <laughs> yeah, she. I, the I, I all agree. the side yeah, we, characters are really they do a, they have a lot of fun with their little roles. Yeah, and I think they find real life in it, and I like like that level of spice. Like the group dynamic, each of them having a thing, a game or something like that. Like, yeah, if you just slow down, Michael, let, let it breathe. I think like he's such an you can't, you can't do yeah. it. Yeah. Well, and it's like he's so much he cares so much more about the aesthetic than the and the and the technical element than the, yeah. the, the interior of the film. And that's fine for something like The Rock where like, you know. That's mm. not like that movie doesn't have to be like a uh, stalker. It doesn't have to have this like, you know, deep like, you know, it's a, just an action movie about, you know, guys stealing silly bombs or whatever yeah. that don't make any sense scientifically. But, 
you just you can't do that with this type of movie. You need like a core. You need it something. Needs hum- the human factor needs to be there. Yeah, like, he. Yeah. And it and I'll and you know what he cared about was how am I going to pull off the attack? Mm-hmm. Like the the details and the specifics and all the gear that go into the attack sequence. And mm. he's just not he's not a gentle enough director for the stuff the scenes that needed to be gentle for you to care deeply about all these people, which you needed to do, which you needed to do. Well, he feels like he could do like story on autopilot. It feels yeah. like I feel like and the thing yeah. is, is like he it's like cause it's like all that stuff, all the like I think what's like so frustrating about Pearl Harbor is all the story stuff is so like it feels like generic fill in. Like it feels like like the first thing you think of, and that's it. Like like the yeah. baseline version, no spice at all. Like Danny Rafe and Kate Beckinsale's character, like the extent of their characters is they're like hot and in love. That's like yeah. pretty much all there is to which that. Is, besides, which shows like, that they distinctly misunderstood Titanic. Yeah, a hundred percent. Because yeah, like because like there's more to like um. Sorry, I had a frog in my dang oh, throat. Jeez. Had a little frog get out of there, Michigan. Uh, but uh, Michigan J Frog. Uh, yeah, but uh, I, I, I picked up on that. Okay, just making sure, make sure you know all your your uh, your uh, C tier Looney Tune, lesser known Looney Tune characters. But one of the more famous frogs outside of Kermit. That's true. He's like a top five frog. Number yeah. two, you know, Michigan. Number one, Kermit. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, there's no other frogs. Um, but yeah, zero. it's just zero, not zero frogs. Yeah. Sorry, not sorry, Mister Toad. You don't make the damn list. Yeah, you're out of here. You're a toad. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. But I, th- I think what, yeah, it's this. Um, my guess is that there were tons of people after in the wake of Titanic who were like, it was so simple. Mm-hmm. There was no that script sucked or you know it was bullshit script. It was just a trickly romance. Mm-hmm. And um, I think there's a lot more to it than that personally. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about it. You know, this movie doesn't have that Private Ryan and Titanic do have mm-hmm. present day fl- remembrances. Mm-hmm. Bill Paxton listening to the old lady's story is essential to the entire thing. Yeah. The, uh, the did I earn it old man at the end of old Matt Damon at the end of Private Ryan, as cheesy as it kind of feels, is kind of necessary to hammer home the weight of the entire thing. Well, they also those movies also have like shades of good and like yeah. there's like there's like more especially like Saving Private Ryan. I was thinking about like what annoys me about Pearl Harbor compared to Saving Private Ryan and with Saving Private Ryan like you actually get to see like kind of like the horrors of war and like the to a certain degree like I'm not saying it's like it's a jingoistic movie, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But the but you also you have that moment with like Caparzo trying to save the kid. Yeah, he dies in the process the, of that. The the scene with Adam Goldberg. Yes, which is one of the most terrifying things I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, the the fact that the scumbag character Jeremy Davies character gets to live on. Yeah. and the you know people there are that more, are, there are moral implications there. Yeah, there's there's nuance a yes, little bit yes. as, as 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 like as as like I said as jingoistic and as you know flag wavy as that movie is there is but still like the, mild sacri- the sacrifices of the characters are real and felt yes like 
the finale with Sizemore and Hanks is still like I'm like moved thinking about it. And you know, yeah, and that and that's the thing with Pearl Harbor is like you you get to hang out, you have these hanging moments, hang moments, but he did, but Bay doesn't realize like you have those moments so you can build the relationships between the characters. So, so when, when they have to make choices, you feel it as an audience member. Yeah, like and when, true sacrifice and true true choices. And when you lose someone, it hurts. It like it's like you you know when you're seeing like yeah like no one I I, I care not for any of these ding dongs. Well, unfortunately, the issue is is in maybe so we're gonna get to some of the guys in their team. The guy I cared about making it was Michael Shannon because he did something. Like yeah. he like brought a guy, he made a guy, like a character. He was cool. Yeah, yeah, him. I liked. I liked him. I sometimes he went too far, but I liked Ewan Bremer uh, yeah. as as Winkle. Like you know, like there were there were guys making choices. There was like an actor I think named Greg Zola who was like a yeah. lot of fun. Uh, who's never been in anything else? I don't think. Does not have. Uh, does not even have a Wikipedia page. Sorry, Greg. Man, that is crazy. Uh, yeah. But uh, but uh, but like. Uh, I think it's just like the actors there's few there's a few actors that like make a meal of what little they have and if you don't make that meal then you, you just have nothing to work with it's a bummer yeah that just, yeah and uh so speaking of which like I called him water in a desert about 45 <laughs> minutes of this movie Tom Sizemore arrives as Sergeant Earl's sister and the lead mechanic at uh, Wheeler Airfield in Hawaii. Cinematic and, Oasis. You know, I mean, obviously, we've talked about him a lot. He shows up all the time in our movies. But, um, you know, difficult guy. But he had that run from, like, 90 to 2002, 2003. Mm-hmm. Whenever he showed up, he brought it was like just, like, fireworks yeah. to a movie and, like, a real energy to it. Same deal with Black Hawk Down. He shows up, he's too old to be one of the grunts, but you're like, I'm happy you're here and you're kicking ass. <laughs> and like, you know, he brought like, spice. He brings such a spice that he's like, a life. He brought le- real like life to these performances before his his own life kind of overtook it all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, rest in peace. I hope, you know, found peace, but you know, I like I like him every time he shows up in these movies. <laughs> like, yeah, every single yeah, time. Complicated guy good actor <laughs> yeah complicated guy but really good character actor uh in his in, at his peak time so uh we know i mean the movie's called pearl harbor we know it's coming mm-hmm. but right before pearl harbor guess what man so mm-hmm. kate beckinsale just because she's pregnant oof danny's baby oh because they Long had sex in, they had sex in like parachutes um guess what Rafe, he's alive. And he's back and he thinks he's starting back up and he picks up immediately. Like, oh, Danny Stuffin <laughs> Evelyn now. <laughs> that was seemingly fast. It was three months or something like that. There was a card that popped up on screen three months later. Mm-hmm. Um he's not happy. They go out drinking, they get in a bat, they get in a fight. They are sleeping it off in a convertible. Then the Japanese planes fly over. Mm-hmm. And what follows is basically a 45 minute to fifth hour long pummeling. Mm. Oh, we should note a um, couple things. 
we've seen the White House and we've seen the War Room with all the generals and stuff like that. <laughs> we get a Supreme Nerd team who is calling out, like, hey, we should be on the lookout. We think something's coming. Mm. Nerds are not listened to because, as you astutely mentioned, Michael Bay hates nerds, and nerds don't get respect in Michael Bay movies. Nope. But lead nerd, though, Captain Harold Thurman, Dan Aykroyd. Well, you love to see it. He was I was good. happy to see him. Jen was like, is Dan Aykroyd in this? I was like, hell yeah, Dan Aykroyd's in this. Like, it is crazy. This movie does, I do appreciate, like, the scope of it. Just, like, the cat, like, and, and the audacity just to have, like, like, we're gonna have FDR be a character in this movie. We're gonna have... Played by, he, under, like, 50 pounds of makeup, yeah. John Voight. John Voight was on that run because he had played Coward Cosell in the Ali movie, so he like he had this run in the early 2000s of like, oh, he could play historical figures under heavy makeup. He was like, he did this like chameleon stuff. Luckily, John Voight is a very good actor and does not embarrass himself in yeah. this role at despite all. Some, despite some insanely embarrassing like, so, stuff so, he has to do. So cheesy, if you were lactose intolerant, you would be hospitalized. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like he'd be it's like he'd be like eating chester cheetah himself yeah like just (laughs) dangerous proposition yeah man just send me straight to the moon we made a green (laughs) cheese um but they don't listen to dan Aykroyd at all so it's coming also we should note utterly like and you got to give him credit for how much he brings in a just thankless role cuba gooding jr Oh my like, god, yeah. I so do we need to comment on race within the military, within all of this? Out of nowhere, yeah. seemingly. Yes, mm-hmm. we do. We absolutely do. And he's a great soldier, could be a great soldier who's a cook because he got unfairly and he was, like clearly was. And again yeah. though, this is a movie in its own right. Exactly. Like, a two hour movie about this guy. Easily. And it would have been like, good. Yeah, well, but it's also like the way they treat it. It's like he's such a such a throwaway bullshit. It's it's such a it's a throwaway bullshit. You could cut out his character and it wouldn't affect. It literally would not affect the movie in any capacity. None whatsoever. None whatsoever. And then then like it's just like his character is like that type of thing where like I love the flag and I weep whenever I see it and I'm I'm a good man. I just and despite the racist service that I'm in. I still like love the captain, and I'm yeah. Like, I, I'll, I'll weep for my captain, even though like he was most likely a racist goon. Like, yeah, like, it just angers but me. But it's a, whole, a testament ugh. to Cuba Gooding for He's bringing good. Di- to, yeah for bringing dignity and like making you actually legitimately care about the character. I forgot. I couldn't remember if he lived or died in the sequence, and I was a little concerned for him. I was like, I want him to make it through. Yeah, he's he gets to act a bit, you know, because this is also I feel like this is like the very end of like peak the, the peak Cuba yeah. era. I feel like Snow Dogs is kind of like where things go downhill. That's when you see the <laughs> that's when the the tides turn for Mister Gooding Junior. Yeah. yeah, I mean, again, Leo would have smelled that one on the wall. Leo was offered Snow Dogs. <laughs> yeah, Snow Leo's Dogs. like, yeah, I'm gonna do a yeah, little movie so. called, <laughs> called. I'm gonna go uh, to do the Departed. <laughs> like, <you know. laughs> Snow dogs, departed. Snow uh, dogs. I mean, snow dogs is good, but departed's good too. Yeah, I mean, I do want to hang out with Cisco, but I can also hang out with Jack Nicholson. <laughs> 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 so, 
So, um, uh, sorry, Cisco, you're the great. Atta- the attack begins, and it's just a like we said, it's a pummeling mm-hmm. sequence. We get it from all sides. We see Cuba Gooding Jr. on deck, and he gets his chance to shine. He jumps on a machine gun and talking about it with my friends last night. Like they're like, that's the only thing I remember from that movie in the trailer is him like on that huge machine gun firing away at planes. Um, Affleck and uh, Hartnett immediately hop into action. They have a, they have a camera guy with them who is doing a documentary. Oh, yeah. It was that um it sure looked like Pat Healy. It's but Pat Healy. It was Pat Healy. Okay. That's 100% good. Pat Healy. Pat yeah, like yeah, Mr. Yeah. Innkeepers. I love love Pat Healy. Like, he was he was great. He was having yeah. so much fun being this weird. I love that character too. He brought so much life to like. Oh, it, it felt yeah. like a, a weird forties news guy role. Yeah, no, yeah, you bought him, but they also like completely wasted because they're like, oh, what a great opportunity to do like black and white fo- like newsreel footage mm-hmm. in, as it's happening. They cut to it a couple times, but they don't really like. Again, like it's a neat opportunity that they don't really see through. Yeah, but I no, like. There's... I like them in that convertible coming in and they're in Hawaiian shirts doing battle because they were coming off of a like a long night and a hangover and stuff like that. Yeah, they're at like a bar of some kind. But like And certainly like when the when it starts, you're very invested mm-hmm. in this entire sequence. At least I was. Yeah, no, I was too. Well, and there's so many like interesting Feels like he has his foot in like three or four very interesting, different, interesting like sequences. Like you have yeah. like the the plane sequence, you have like the bombing sequence, and people running away from the bombs. You have the uh, nurses, which is arguably the best sequence out of all of them, despite yeah. the fact he shoots it with this like w- uh, wide angle, out of focus lenses it sucks. that are just annoying. Because you're like, I want to see it. I want to see yeah. them. And I want to see them doing their thing. Like I, you've got it so well. Jennifer Garner gets that heartbreaking line where she's like i just don't know what to do it's like it's great that's like true drama that's like the harrowing if they had just like if this movie had straight up just been like the bombing of pearl harbor and you made it like a two-hour film like like dunkirk or something where it's just a pummeling like this is what it was this is like a docudrama Mm -hmm. oh that was my pitch for a director paul greengrass oh that'd be pretty good you know, I Solid, think him, like, yeah. but I, you know, who I actually think, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, should have directed it. Who? R- Ridley Scott. Mm, <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, yeah. I think he, think he was our man for this movie. Yeah. I mean, honestly, we've said his name a million times. Like, James Cameron wouldn't have been, <laughs> wouldn't have been no. bad either. You'd get like an insane, like, imagine how insane that would be. Like, I think he, we've talked he, about he, it before. He wants to do the, um, atomic bombing movie but from the japanese perspective that's like his dream world war ii project wow which obviously like bring it on i want to see this movie i think it's going to be it would be an amazing moving film that would imagine imagine like that would gross like imagine that type of movie grossing a billion dollars i know that is like he should do it he'd do it in like 3d or something like that yeah because don't get me wrong like i love I love Avatar. I love my boys. I love the Navi. I love my friend Jake Sully. But if he could just do like, like a movie about a thing that actually happened again, I'd, yeah, and it's just a, we'll just see what kind of energy he has once he's done with his portion of the Avatar movies. Like if <laughs> yeah. if he if he wants to, because he's not going to dive. He's never going to half-ass anything. Like no. So he's gonna 
like who knows he he's, the, he's one of the few people where i'd be fine giving him a uh, you know i i could be his blood bag i'd, I'd give him some, I'd, I'd let him if he, if he lived another 10 years i'd you know well, he did say that thing he's like the other day he was like you know i only got another like 30 or so years of like prime movie making in me and i was like you're like 68 years old dude really cool like you know go for it if anyone's yes. going to make a movie at 100 i think it's him oh yeah he's you know? i want i want his i want his cry macho i want i want Maybe an 80 too. year old james cameron <laughs> fighting off bikers goddamn mickey mouse bullshit <laughs> Clint, Clint's getting back on the horse though this summer. Oh my god! Like he's making another movie. Go he for it. Away. He keeps Do getting it. away with it. He can't. He, he can't keep getting away with it. But he can. So, uh, yeah, it's like what starts off as harrowing and interesting becomes pummeling, and then we get to the thing that bugged me the most when I saw it in two thousand one, and I still don't like it now. Mm. The only two workable planes left. Happened to be commandeered by our two heroes who seem to single-handedly fight off the Japanese mm. with their two planes. And I don't buy it. It's too, like, coincidental and right place, right time. But yeah, I think, like, to do this entire sequence we're about, like, this massive historical moment... And then it's like well, we gotta re we gotta make sure our dopey ass fictional dweeb leads get a chance to do heroic stuff. <laughs> yeah, and it's like I think I think the thing is is like if you're gonna have this like these non these are fictional characters if you're gonna have these like non historical entities in your historical product, then they have to be compelling in some capacity, and mm. they just. They aren't. That's the and it's like and I don't know what the it's funny because it's like I was trying to figure out what makes like DiCaprio and Winslet so compelling, despite the fact that like, you know, part of it's like they're like just they were great, great, actors. great actors. Yeah, like landmark talents. I think that's like part of it. And they sell yeah. it to a certain degree. Um, well, and then like, you know, Leo's character, like he's like an Aladdin type. He's like a little more interesting than like, you know, I think he's um boyish. Yeah, like his he's... boyish enthusiasm, like, and her, like, spunk as a spunky girl, mm -hmm. like, who gives and takes with him a bit. Like, they have, like, a repartee with each other. And um, I think people mistook that for being archetypes, which they are. Mm -hmm. But they mistook it just them as just archetypes and not really realizing them. Like, this is why the like studios and their desperate search just to make things as bland and like here's your slop enjoy it as possible misunderstand is that like it's the magic of like james cameron finding these two people in this exact moment in their lives mm. when they were the perfect two people to play these archetypes and bring them to life and how much that meant like you can't like that out that magic doesn't come out of an algorithm comes out of being he, present and alive and seeing them walk into a room together and being like, like I, they're right this person they need to be together and then discovering like the only person who could like give lip to leo's like petulant bratty up-and-coming star was kate winslet who yeah. could like you know and 
that they would bring that off screen too and develop like a respect and like it would make him better because she was so good. Mm-hmm. But you know, and so serious and such a like a talent in her own right. And he's like, Oh, I gotta like play along better. I can't just be this bratty kid. You know? And they just you can't replicate that. You can't like mm-hmm. just manufacture that. You have to like put in the TLC to You do. Yeah, to and it, make it happen. And you have to yeah, you have to find you have to find lightning and then capture it in a bottle. You have to like and it's like you can't just it does feel like the it does feel like that Bruckheimer and Bay were under the impression that you could just find any garden variety yeah. hunk and any garden variety hottie and you could just kind of cobble together, you know, take all these like used parts and kind of cobble together the machine you want to get that Oscar. And you can't. You have to put some no. thought into it and some care and you have to find the right folks and they just Yeah, it's just yeah. yeah. Yeah, they like this is their like this is oh this this is because we got all the right pieces. Mm-hmm. This is uh, the grand historical epic on the level of you know Saving Private Ryan to Lawrence of Arabia to you know Titanic. Mm-hmm. Um, but what all three of those movies have is like obsessive passion from their mm-hmm. key creative people, like yeah. who are not going to like who are not going to back down. They, they, story meant something to them, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure how much this means beyond just general right wing patriotism. It's not even Brock, yeah. to Brockheimer and Bay. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't even think that they were thinking. I feel like it's just it feels more mercenary. It feels like yeah. ah, this will get me that Oscar. This will. And I think yeah. people could smell it. I think people could smell it and see it. You can smell the desperation. We'll get to the reactions in just a moment here. But what you don't realize is that there's another hour in this movie. God. And you're like, man, I'm exhausted. I'm (laughs) I'm sleepy. Morally and and spiritually and physically exhausted. Mm -hmm. Enter Jimmy Doolittle, Mm. the real life uh, World War II hero, uh, Major Jimmy Doolittle, played by. And I was happy to see him. He he brought he brought a verve and panache when we needed it. Alec mm-hmm. Baldwin returns to the show again <laughs> once again. This, yes, yeah. The narrator of Two Bits returns to the show. Oh, uh, Mister Two Bits himself. It's it's it's, it's, it's it's almost as if his performance is kind of secretly whispering. Yeah, I could have been a bigger part of the. I could have been in the. I could have been a, a, a cast member of the Thin Red. Was he in the Thin Red Line? He's not in the Thin Red Line. No, yeah. no, uh, but he, not, show, I, he shows up in this. I think he, I feel like he's sore. I think he wants to. I think he's trying to show that he could have. He could. I could have been and, in John Penn's role. And I think there is also <laughs> a vibe to him that's like, this isn't going well. I need. I need to. I need to bring something to this. Yeah, this I gotta movie. bring some spice. I gotta bring some spice to this movie. I gotta make sure the stink of this film doesn't stay on me. Give me some speeches. Let me sum up the movie via these speeches. Like I can do it. Yeah, new set them my new, way. <laughs> you know? Atomic bombs are for closers. Like yeah. <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> but yeah, he he shows up, and now we have an attack. We have to retaliate and attack Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, we get the dopiest damn thing in which it's like we can't do that we're down like and Franklin Roosevelt's like no one told me I was down when I couldn't when I got the polio and he stands he he stands up and like wows 
the chiefs of staff. That sucks. It makes me so I see that and I get angry because like I hate how all the all the dialogue with all the historical figures is just like the most basic like World War Two for dummies, like explaining explain World War Two like you're a five year old to me like sort of die like none of it ever happened none of it feels real it all feels like exposition for the audience well that's and- like um our favorite thing in like the music biopic when like dun 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 fred i think you're on to something like yeah that was how we wrote another one bites the dust oh shoot God. me in the head like yeah you know- it is like it has like the subtlety of the weird owl movie like the 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 the, not the uhf the one that he made recently that was a parody of these type of things just or or like walk hard yeah basically Uh, walk hard i would say is even more subtle than this movie yeah (laughs) like walk hard's jokes you have to be like oh i know about the music business and i also know (laughs) about music biopics and like how like intricate things we're gonna make fun of about this yeah i find it really funny the scene where he's Brian Wilson and he's demanding like 75 didgeridoos. Oh, like, incredible. I think it's really, but you have to kind of know the history of like the Beach Boys, like deep Beach Boys history to know yeah, that he, that is funny. You like, have to understand like the history, the fraught history of pet sounds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the, the music nerds like, that's really funny. You're like speaking my language. <laughs> yeah, but this is, well, I think the thing too is this is not a movie that's not for nerds. Like this is like, like no, they because spe- like we mentioned, Michael Bay hates nerds. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. But then, like a, a sad, sad, an unfortunate side effect of that is he's gonna spell out every dumb thing because he feels like I, it's yeah. like it's like he talks down to the audience a little. I think where our boy, no boy Steven Spielberg is like the greatest of nerds. Mm-hmm. Like he's a true nerd, and that's why he's able to like walk the line between saccharine and historical mm-hmm. truth and that and kind he walks of thing. In it. He walks that line pretty hard. Bro walks pretty hard. I walk <laughs> even that part though, like I walk hard. And that that's what they're making fun of. They're like, oh, I've just, just magically come up with a genius song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of the hardest things to do in movies is the creative, like show the creative process. Mm-hmm. Like how ideas are come up. Like any movie that is about a writer is like Oof. immediately difficult unless they better have a terrible personal life because well, otherwise yeah because like, it's like well because the actual process is the most uncinematic thing yeah it's yeah, yeah. and no Watch writers it, to ever a like miserable guy in a room try to come up with stuff <laughs> it's like oh cool we're watching this guy you know type on his typewriter for three hours yeah but this movie on the other hand is about flying planes which is very cinematic mm, you think You'd think. Um, <laughs> so they launch an attack on Japan. All of the guys that we've come to like who survived the Pearl Harbor attack are on mm-hmm. this mission. So we got uh, obviously Rafe and Danny, but Michael Shannon's there when Bremer's there. Like those guys all mm-hmm. are got invited on this mission. Um, it's basically a suicide mission. They don't have enough gas. They can barely get the planes off the runway. But mm-hmm. dang it. Our, there's this cheesy ass part where Alec Baldwin's like, "That's the best of us." When he's watching Rafe and Danny like walk around on uh, <laughs> the aircraft carrier, it's weird how all this stuff works in like Top Gun Maverick for me. But in this, it's like, Ugh. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's because like I think it's like they 
you have time with like the actors in Top Gun Maverick. It's just I don't know. Also, it, will... it also has Tom Cruise, who is infinitely like you buy it. You buy yeah. what he well, you buy what he's selling. So <laughs> so much of like yeah, watching these movies and seeing which kind of mid level movies work and which ones don't. You, you truly realize like you need like a big actor. You need well, that someone... was like my favorite line. I at one I think I've quoted before on the show, but like Paul Thomas Anderson goes. I don't need special effects. I have the greatest special effect. I have Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> it was like he's right. He's one hundred percent right. Like, yes, you know, ILM couldn't dream of having a. Yes, computer can't make cool, so. computer can't make Joaquin Phoenix. A computer cannot make Daniel Day Lewis. No, they're too idiosyncratic and ludicrous. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're they're yeah. weird. They're weird. Yeah. Their weirdness, though, is what makes them so fucking watchable and special. Yeah. Your, you know, does your graphics card want to be a cobbler in Italy? No, get out of here. Yeah, it might want to <laughs> be a cobbler, and Adam Sandler's the cobbler. But uh, mm, that's mm. good. Classic, classic film, and classic, a classic Sandler film. That one of the few Sandlers I've never seen. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm afraid it's that one. That one. Yeah. So they go on the mission, <laughs> and um, they the bombing goes off actually quite successfully, but they run out of gas. They have to find land. We get a brief moment, and Ebert points this out in his review of like having to have a knowledge of Japanese and Chinese relations that's just completely skimmed over, but is actually quite an important detail in knowing if our heroes are going to make it out of this thing. <laughs> like, so they basically they have to land in China because China and Jap- Japan are enemies, mm-hmm. but we don't know where they land. They don't know where they land. It's very and why are the Japanese there mm-hmm. in general? If they did land in China, which we find out they did land in China. Um and we get basically this final sequence because it is a suicide mission, because it's like against all odds, because it's a ragtag gang. Are you reminded of Armageddon? Because we were. Yeah, a little <laughs> bit. Yeah, the last forty five minutes, it's like you watch it and it's like, oh wow, down to like, you know, the the girlfriend being yeah, in the comms in the area. Comms yeah, and that's like the biggest one. So Kate back in sale because in a, a truly insane sequence. So during the battle, she um pinches a artery in the neck of the wounded Leland Orser. We've mm-hmm. we've seen him before. He was the poor bastard in seven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um then she like comes up to him and asks him for a favor. He's a prick to her. Like, why? You could have simply said, I'll I'll try my best to get you in there. But no, he like, I don't know, it's against protocol. You could be blacklisted for this, or you could be court martial. Uh, like, yeah. what a shut up. Sucks. Like, we're at the conclusion of the movie. She needs to be in we know dramatically she needs to be in the control room to know if her boys are making her two lovers are making it home. Like, huh. Get her yeah, in. Do, let her. Make yeah. He, and we know he owes her his life. Mm-hmm. It's simple. Don't make him a prick. What's the deal with that? I don't know. Weird, weird ass movie. Mm-hmm. So she's in the control room, just like fucking Liv Tyler in Harm Again. Mm. <laughs> Maybe dressed the same, even. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And Michael Bay has a thing, but like, they look alike, too. Mm-hmm. The two actresses. Like his ideal lady, I think, was this like statuesque brunette who who is like tough, but really is just there for their man. 
Like, yeah, God, yeah. It's like they <laughs> they 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 kind of a daddy's girl, but you but know. yeah, like love, but loves America and loves like cornbread American dopes. Yeah, who are played by Ben Affleck. <laughs> loves a good burger boy, and Ben Affleck's not a burger boy. I don't Mm-mm. think he's a burger boy at all. I think he no. was miscast as a burger boy. Yeah, I think like he's just. He's such a, he has the hunk face. He has resting hunk face. And so that unfortunately, until he got older, he was stuck in Burger yeah. Boy world. Yeah. I think they tried the same with Brad for a while too. Like just too mm. hunky, but it's like, he's a weird, Brad Pitt, as we know, is a weird character actor in his mm-hmm. heart of hearts. Oh, and yeah. Ben Affleck is, um, I mean, we said it before, like the jock, the guy who peaked in high school mm-hmm. is Ben Affleck's greatest role. Yeah, like in all of the movies we've loved him the most, he is that guy. Mm-hmm. He was the guy who was super cool in high school, and then is now like selling timeshares and very, very disappointed by it. Yeah, he is a uh, a disgruntled auto salesman who uh, you know always use. He's like the manager on the floor, and he's always using like sports metaphors. Yeah, cart, but it's know, really time. he knows he's pathetic though, and he's always struggling with alcohol. Like, yeah. It's time. a key. It's a key. It's a key part of the key Ben Affleck milieu, which is uh, um, clear visually to the viewer via a pot belly. Yep. yep. <laughs> yeah. Like he's let himself uh, a little you bit. You can tell because he still has like gla- a little bit of glamour muscles, like in his arms or whatever. Yeah. But he's also like he's not a he, he. This this is a man who will stop at a Jack in the Box drive-through on a dime because he's like and he's a and it's more like a sad like he's depressed and he feels like a jumbo jack will um make him feel a little bit better and yeah and, and then he like immediately regrets it when he's yeah. eating it in the car and he's he like, like goes home and he does like 10 sit-ups to make himself feel better <laughs> but it's not enough it's not enough ben no it's not enough <laughs> should have gotten the panera bread i know god dang i should have gotten a salad tomorrow I'm going to start eating salads. I'm going to like, I'm going to run. I'm going to start running. Like start two, running. I'm going to start running like two miles a day. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to do it. I'm going to sign up for a half marathon. I'm going to make, I'm going to do that this year. Definitely. He's <laughs> never going to, he's never going to do anything. No. Yeah. Yeah. He works six days a week. He can't. No, I, this job is, that sucks. And his, his kids like don't respect him. Like, mm. okay. We've really. We know this guy. <laughs> we, know, we know this character. We, we know this character. <laughs> Rafe McCauley is not this guy. <laughs> no, no, Rafe. Yeah, no, Rafe has the respect of his dumb kids. So we get kind of, um, and I think Michael Bay really feels at home here. We get some hand-to-hand combat. We get some, like, pistols and right and shotgun kind of confrontation between our surviving pilots who've crash-landed and the Japanese. Mm-hmm. He feels at home. Yeah. Ben Affleck gets to run across a field shooting guns. Like, it is like kind of a bummer that we don't get to see like the impact of the bombing on like the Japanese. Like, I feel like they're they're kind of portrayed as I feel like like they get as much characterization as like they're the aggressors and whatnot. But like, they get as much characterization as like the 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 asteroid in Armageddon. Well, another movie thing. <laughs> I think that they're trying for a Tora 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 longest day, like gigantic cast, like mm-hmm. let's show the war from all angles kind of thing. With yeah, this. But it's, a, it's just but a it's bunch like, of it's a bunch of better movies yeah. cobbled together t- for this movie. Yeah, Midway is a better movie than this yeah. one. Yeah. 
Yeah, like uh, there's a ton. The ones made in the moment in the 40s. There are many that are better than this movie. Yes. Tarantino mentioned that I guess the director of Godzilla made a movie called I Bombed Pearl Harbor from the Japanese perspective at the time. Oh, wow. And I was like, tried to seek it out to watch. I couldn't find it. And I was like, I if if any of our listeners, astute listeners out there can send us a link to this movie, I want to watch this movie because I want to see like a propagandist J- movie from Japan. It'd be interesting. Time, I think it'd be very, very like as a historical document, I'd be very interested in, you know, seeing that picture. Who knows if it's been suppressed or it's they're embarrassed by it. Like, mm. I don't know. But I heard it exists and sounds interesting. Um, so we're rapidly moving toward our conclusion here. Um, mm-hmm. It should come as no surprise. One of our guys is not going to make it. Oof. I think the writing has been on the wall for that. And unfortunately, <laughs> I kind of like Danny more than Rafe, to be mm-hmm. fair, if I had to pick. Um, yeah. Josh Hartnett is the one he sacrificed. Sacrifice, he gets shot, sacrificing himself, jump, jumping in the way of bullets to save his bud. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also got a piece of shrapnel in his neck, which I don't think was going to go very well. Yeah, I, there's like I a... don't think I think the writing was already on the wall for Danny on that one. There's there's a moment where like they're trying to get it out and it's like, don't do that. I don't That's... I leave you, you want to get to those nurses. To yeah. work on this thing. <laughs> like, like, don't try to pull. Don't mess with the shrapnel in the neck. Yeah, you don't yeah, leave you don't it in there. That... Yeah, you don't know what that's <laughs> clogging, dude. And then part Tommy boy after Chris Farley gets hit in the face with the wood, he's like, does it hurt so much here or here? But right here is where it hurts. Oh, I don't see anything. You're fine. <laughs> but yeah, he goes down and then like Ben Affleck has to do silver. You're going to be a dad, Danny. You're going to be a dad. You can't die. Mm. And you're like, oh, God. we know that. There are so many. This movie. Whatever, man. Whatever. Whatever. He doesn't make it. Kate Beckinsale's waiting for him at the tarmac. And Ben Affleck emerges from the plane, but then turns back. And and he's carrying him and the Michael Shannon and Owen Bremer are carrying a coffin. I was happy. I was happy Michael Shannon and Owen Bremer made it. (laughs) I was happy that they made it. Carrying a coffin. She's pregnant. Rafe's going to raise that damn baby as his own. Uh, they name, what do you think they named the baby? Oh baby boy. Oh, take a, take one fucking guess. Baby Danny. You know? Ooh. Mm. Yeah. Get back and sale. Give some maudlin monologue, voiceover monologue about the sacrifices we make as Americans or some, something. I don't know. It doesn't yeah. matter. Whatever. Cut to the credits. That's that. Uh, wow, what a movie! <laughs> like, mm. I watched it over three nights. <laughs> I, I knew honestly the, the healthiest knew, way I, to watch it. I knew I had no shot, like you did, of getting in three hours and ten minutes uh, in one single setting. And, uh, I, and there is no way Jen was going to sit through all of this. She sat through. She watched National Treasure with me, but yeah, no way she was going to watch this movie. So this is a totally wild movie. Uh, the proposed budget for this movie was $200 million, um, which at the time, in one is quite pricey. Um, there was a bit of contention with Disney, though, because they uh, wanted to lower the budget, and Michael Bay was demanding it be rated R. 
mm. too, because he wanted the violence to be as visceral as the Saving Private Ryan violence was. Um, yeah, he was not interested in primarily marketing the final product to teen and young adult audiences. I think Michael Bay saw this as a war movie. And he knew he had to do the romance thing because Titanic was hot and um, they thought it would work to get they had $200 million. You better have all your all your T's crossed and I's dotted. Yeah, all your ducks in a row. And I guess that um, there is a DVD R-rated director's cut available of this movie. Although I will say, I don't think I needed to be more violent. It was plenty violent, if you ask <laughs> me. And uh, apparently it was just a battle all the way through, but over mm-hmm. the budget and Michael Bay. And apparently he stormed off set multiple times claiming he was quitting the movie. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, chairman of Disney, Dick Cook, said at the time, I think Pearl Harbor was one of the most difficult shoots of modern history. Mm. Um, and they uh, apparently did use the um, Rosarito Beach set that James Cameron had built in Mexico for Titanic for a lot of the water sequences uh, and the battleship sequences and that kind of thing, which, you know, that's the right thing to do. (laughs) Um, Yeah. It's a good set. And, uh, you know, in in terms of casting, I don't really, I I couldn't find a great deal of details. If there was any alts on this one, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I think I kind of doubt it. I think all these people were the probably at least the, out of the three leads, these were the people that Michael Bay and Jerry Bruckheimer really thought highly of. You know, mm-hmm. they're all up and comers. Josh Hartnett was very hot at the time. Ben Affleck yeah. was very hot at the time. Kate Beckinsale was just making her presence known, and obviously she's a striking beauty. So it's like, you know, mm-hmm. and she kind of has that uh, '40s movie star beauty. Yeah, which I think is probably something that they were looking for. Mm-hmm. Well, and like Ben Affleck has that too a little bit, like that chin or whatever. Like he feels chiseled in a way that like forties leading oh, yeah. men were. Yeah, yeah, and they, you know, they. I'm sure that they were looking at him in the late nineties or two thousands. Like, yeah, this is this is a action adventure romantic hero kind yeah, of guy. So there's and a like, reason why he played George Reeves in Hollywoodland, <laughs> which is yeah, which was so key for him in his beginning of understanding of his true journey. Yeah, which was which which we described mm-hmm. in God. quite a bit of detail. He's so good in that ago. movie. He's great in that movie. He's a great actor. I love the guy. Like, and I know we're being a little hard on him today, but it that is yeah. just because we have high expectations of Ben Affleck. Like, yeah, we like and him. well, well, and it's also just like yeah, and it's just it's a shame seeing him. So he was just in the weeds for there was just this era where like post um Goodwill Hunting, people just did not know. What to do uh-huh. with him? I mean, it capacity. was like a like a square peg kind of deal. They're trying to slam their him into this like mold that they thought mm-hmm. he fit based on how he looked, but yep. he wasn't that guy. Yep. And it took till like he started directing and like getting to know like oh like he's a very like this is a guy. He's a bright guy. He's a talented guy. But he like he he gives off this like regular guy. Like I'm just trying to get by. Kind of qual- even at the highest level, even being married to Jennifer Lopez, you still feel like, oh, this is a guy who wants to like sneak Dunkin' Donuts and smoke cigarettes behind behind his health nut wife's back because he just needs a break. You yeah. know, 
he needs something in his life. Like if I can't drink, I I need yeah. something. <laughs> I need like to crush as much Dunkin' coffee and cigarettes as like humanly possible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he's a cool dude. We're gonna watch um we're gonna watch the Nike movie tonight, I think. Ooh, I was thinking about that too. I might yeah. I might give that a watch. Actually, I'm watching the I'm gonna be watching the Blackberry tonight movie tonight oh. with a friend. I'm excited. Nice. I've heard it's good. Um Pearl Harbor ended up costing um they got the budget down to 140 million, which is really impressive actually for the scope of this movie. Mm. Uh Pearl Harbor opened in May of 2021. The initial mm. screening was on an aircraft carrier in the real Pearl Harbor with veterans there in attendance. Mm. Um this was an event, folks. Like this is like when this movie came out, I mean, I remember the summer, like this was one, this was scheduled to be the biggest movie of the summer. Wow. Like, the, the biggest, which meant the biggest movie of the year. Um, during its opening weekend, it made $59 million and then That's made awesome. $75.1 million over the first four days, which in 2001, very good. Yeah, that's not bad. Uh, it was the second highest Memorial Day weekend gross of all time at that moment at time bef- uh, behind the Lost World Jurassic Park 2. Mm. Uh, here's a fun fact for you. Uh, it topped the box office, knocking Shrek out of first place, Patrick. Oh, no. Not my, yeah. not my boy. Not my good friend Shrek. Uh, it, Devastating. Uh, stayed in number one spot in its uh, second weekend. Um, and it dropped... It, it basically stayed in the top until August, almost. Um, mm. uh, it was um, for multiple weeks, and then um, dropped to third place behind Swordfish and Shrek. Mm. Uh, ended up grossing um, $198 million in the U.S. and Canada, and 250 overseas for a f- worldwide total of about $450 million. Six highest earning picture of 2001 but i remember at the time because they were expecting titanic money mm-hmm. this is this this 450 million has actually felt disappointing considering what it what they yeah they they it, they was it was expecting a global dominating um Total. I would argue that they should never have because this is a distinctly American story and it's never going to play as well yeah, as Titanic. That, that's <laughs> the other thing I was going to say is like there's a universality to Titanic that uh, yeah. they didn't catch that. They didn't catch how like the reason why you can play Titanic in any place in the world and everyone grocks to it is because it's not really at the end of the day, Titanic's like a class struggle movie where you could like it doesn't matter if. Leonardo DiCaprio is from, you know, England. It doesn't matter if he's from America. It doesn't matter if he's from Timbuktu. Like he could have, yeah, yeah, he could, he could be any nationality and it still fits. You can be in that insane thing with Kate. Dreamy, young, romantic love is an international language. It's a universal feeling. Yeah. 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 Yeah, And and this movie tries to replace that with distinctly American patriotism. And that's only going to work in one place, bro. America. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> if it works uh, there, <laughs> to begin apparently with. it was positively received in uh, Japan. Interesting. Uh, 
A critic likened it to Gone with the Wind, set during World War II, and another described it more realistic than Torah Torah. Torah. I forgot I mean, the third Torah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of Torahs in that. You know, people always yeah. read the third Torah. I mean, yeah, like, yeah. boy, I feel bad for the third Torah. I guess, I guess it is like on one level, mildly more respectful, probably than previous iterations, at least towards like you know the Japanese sides, because like they're not like they're not like depicted as like totally evil like they're not depicted as like but then it's also like super like i don't know there was one thing one of my amazon notes was apparently like the japanese media was mad that they'd like um all their um so all the majority of the scenes take place outside in japan and the japan scenes all the Uh planning scenes and apparently that's like a big cultural faux pas like apparently in japan like it's viewed as like rude and like kind of like uh, garish to have like uh, meetings outdoors as opposed to indoors. <laughs> and so, the... and JC would have never, he would have no. known that. He would have known that. exactly. That's the thing is that then that, that's like the problem. Like there's all these like things where like you can just tell that Michael Bay cares more about like the look and the vibe, yeah, than like the actual history. And JC. He has the look and vibe covered. Don't worry about that. But he will also do the research. And the only times he'll like he'll veer from like the reality of what he's covering is when it really serves the story. Like he he's like a little. Yeah, it's not just like here. He's he's not like he doesn't have music video director brain. No, he does not. He. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Michael, Michael. Yeah. Michael Bay has like serious music video direct and that's not a bad thing like you make some really cool aesthetics but then like that yeah and it serves him well in like bad boys 2 or whatever but like um yeah so uh and it's not like other music video direct like david venture he turned that off when he's making his movies he can like yeah um so the movie was not well received in the united states Uh, oh wow oh wow the it has a um currently has a 24 percent approval rating on rotten tomatoes so that's critical consensus reads pearl harbor tries to be the titanic of war movies but it's just a tedious romance filled with laughably bad dialogue the 40 minute action sequence is spectacular though (laughs) yeah yeah um do yourself a favor folks and read all of roger ebert's deeply negative review it's uh, Ebert at his peak cattiness, and <laughs> it's well worth it. He gave it one and a half stars. Pearl Harbor is a two-hour movie squeezed into three hours about how, on December 7th, 1941, the Japanese staged a surprise attack on an American love triangle. B- bravo, Ebert. What a great <laughs> opening sentence that is there. It's centerpieces of 40 minutes of redundant special effects surrounded by a love story of stunning banality. The film has been directed without grace, vision, or originality. And although you may walk out quoting lines or dialogue, it will not be because you admire them. Uh, Uh, There is no sense of history, strategy, or context. According to this movie, Japan attacked Pearl Harbor because America cut off its oil supply. They were down to an 18-month reserve. Would going to war restore the fuel sources? Did they perhaps also have imperialist designs? Movie doesn't say. Um, in his great 
in his essay on Lawrence of Arabia from his great essay, great movies essay. Mm-hmm. He wrote, "What you wa- what you realize watching Lawrence of Arabia is that the word epic refers not to the cost or the elaborate production, but to the size of the ideas and vision." Werner Herzog's Aguirre the Wrath of God did not cost as much as the catering in Pearl Harbor, but isn't it, it but it is an epic and Pearl Harbor is not. Man. I think he's very astute in these yeah. readings. He's hard on it, and that's his job. Where our job isn't to be hard on things. This isn't our job. I mean, <laughs> no, yeah, no, we're doing this because it's fun. But uh yeah. it's tough, but yeah, tough but fair. Like really, like truly, like uh AO Scott of the New York Times wrote nearly every line of the script drops from the actors' mouths with a leaden clank of exposition timed with bad sitcom beats. Woof. USA Today wrote ships, planes, and water combust and collide in Pearl Harbor, but nothing else does but nothing else does in one of the wimpiest wartime romances ever filmed. Mm-hmm. Um Oh, and the, here's an interesting one. Uh, in his review of the Washington Post, Desmond Howe wrote, although this Walt Disney movie is based, inspired, and even partially informed by a real event referred to as Pearl Harbor, the movie mm-hmm. is actually based on the movie's Top Gun, Titanic, and Saving Private Ryan. Don't get confused. <laughs> like, it is a mm-hmm. movie about war movies and e- epic romances. It is not a movie about Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. Like It's just... Wild. Peter Travers of Rolling Stone wrote, Affleck, Hartnett, and Beckinsale, a British actress without a single line worth a single line to wrap her credible American accent around are Ooh. attractive actors, but they can't animate this moldy romantic love triangle. Um, yeah, nobody liked it. Although Andrew Saris, the great, oh. the great critic, he was semi-positive. He said, here is the ironic twist of my acceptance of Pearl Harbor. The parts I like the most are the parts before and after the digital destruction of Pearl Harbor by the Japanese carrier planes. And he felt that Pearl Harbor is not so much about World War II as it is about movies about World War II. And what's wrong with that? Mm. Well, I think there's ups and downs to that. I think we live in a culture, cultural vacuum. Mm-hmm where everything is commentary on everything at this point, and which is what makes James Cameron so special to get, get back to him a little bit is like, he doesn't like the avatar things are just like, he's not listening to anyone. He's just doing what he feels mm. like. And then we were kind of talking about that a few weeks ago, with like, like licorice pizza, mm-hmm. like Paul Thomas Anderson clearly is not listening to anyone. But yeah, he's, not, he's not taking notes. Like that's yeah. Gonna, there's no he's not trying to do anything. It's not in conversation with anything other than his like what keeps him up at night or makes him laugh, you know? And <laughs> I think we need more of that. We don't want more movies about this is just like Saving Private Ryan meets Spider-Man. No, I don't want to see that movie. Mm-hmm. I've seen those other movies. Those are good. The Sam Raimi Spider-Man's good. Saving Private Ryan is good. They yeah. were their own thing. Like, I don't want commentary on other movies. And I think that um, shows a lack of imagination. Mm-hmm. Gut. And to quote Werner Herzog, guts. <laughs> like, <laughs> and have the guts and the courage to enter the jungle and do mm-hmm. your thing. 
and see what happens. And I don't think, I don't think that they do. I think that they like their mansions. They like having successes. They like, and I, this shows the limit of what Michael Bay and Jerry Bruckheimer are capable of. I think. Yeah. I think like there's a way to make films that involves risk and there's a way to make films that um, hedges your bets. And I feel like Bruckheimer, he's a hedger a bit. He Which made him successful. Yeah. Made him incredibly successful. But then the unfortunate um, cost is it's, it makes it infinitely more difficult to create like true touching you know art the kind the type of art that will garner you uh love from your fellow critics that's the trade-off unfortunately yeah uh yeah. this movie was nominated for four academy awards did you know that mm. i mean I, I bet they're like they gotta be like just they're technical. You, you, yeah, uh, yeah best original song there will be the faith hill song that closes it that is is no my heart will go on Mm-mm. and no don't don't not even a, don't want to miss a thing no, yeah, yeah, but it's a it's a certainly is an attempt at them. Yeah. <laughs> now, made for best sound, best sound editing, best visual effects. One for best sound editing. So Pearl Harbor did win an Academy Award, which of course goes along with the fact that it was also nominated for every Razzie imaginable. <laughs> um, Razzies are stupid, though. Who cares? Everybody tried their best on this movie, but this movie is still. It's ultimately not successful. This will might be the last time I ever see this movie. The second t- second time will be probably the last time I will ever see this movie. And oh, I'm I, never I, gonna. I yeah, think, I don't think unless unless the little unless the little one for some inane reason decides ten years from now that they want to watch Pearl Harbor, um, <laughs> and I'll probably talk her out of it. <laughs> I'll try to talk her out of it. <laughs> yeah, you don't. Yeah, you don't need to put her put her through that. But it was a success. And 2001, I think another interesting thing, too, this came out in May 2001, and of course, September 11th of 2001. If this movie had come out after September 11th, I wonder what would have been its, uh, if they had made it a fall release rather than a summer release. Man, honestly. I wonder what the where where what this would have what people would have thought of this movie, would, you know, all sorts. Would of Michael? Things. Well, Michael would Michael Bay be like one Oscar richer? Like yeah, was, like honestly, the yeah. legitimate question there because this is the raw raw kind of thing that would have uh, would have had an interesting impact. Yeah, this very this black and white filmmaking would yeah be very yeah would have been very um, appreciated at the time. Absolutely, absolutely. I said last night that we were doing this this morning, and I was out with some friends. And yeah. I was like, you know, the only way to really have an in-depth conversation about per- – clear-eyed in-depth conversation about Pearl Harbor is with a mild to medium-level hangover. Mm-hmm. Um, went into with it with that. Guess who's guess who's feeling clear headed and ready to talk about more movies now. Guess who's <laughs> my voice might be weak, but my soul and heart are strong. Yes, right? yes. As is so, Jerry Bruckheimer in two thousand one uh-huh. is still like riding immensely high. He's got two of 
he's got multiple shows. Mm -hmm. Basically, CSI and The Amazing Race are Jerry Bruckheimer productions mm -hmm. and massive smashes. Within the next couple of years, Without a Trace and the CIA spinoff or CSI spinoffs are on the air. And so he's got a television empire too. Mm -hmm. um, he produces in 2001. We've already covered it to backtrack a little bit. His fall 2001 movie was Black Hawk Down, mm -hmm. which we already covered. Heading into 2002, 2002 is relatively quiet in the cinematic front. He makes a film called um, uh, Bad Company, directed by mm. Joel Schumacher that has Anthony Hopkins and Chris Rock. Uh, let us know if you'd like for us to cover this movie, but it's not currently on the uh, on the docket <laughs> for us. <laughs> but 2002 is spent filming a movie that I would say arguably defined the next decade of Br Jerry Bruckheimer productions. Mm -hmm. And that is, of course, 2003's... Oh, and also in 2003, uh, Bad Boys 2 comes out, uh, which we will be covering in a later episode. Mm -hmm. uh, and a film called Veronica Guerin, which is a um, bio crime drama with Kate Blanchett, directed by Joel Schumacher, also not currently on the docket. But again, if you want to hear us talk about that, Oh man, a Schumacher pod? I I wouldn't be yeah. against it. The key figure of this era, but more of the Tony Ridley age group. Um, mm -hmm. But no, it this is of course we're talking about 2003's Pirates of the Caribbean: The Curse of the Black Pearl. Um, a wild success, <laughs> like yeah, like, huge, huge play. movie. I think uh, I saw it three times in theaters. Total cultural phenomenon. Uh, I was, would it surprise you, Patrick, that I was skeptical about Pirates of the Caribbean Curse of Black Not Pearl in, the in 2003. <laughs> this is like, I see, this is like, this is like everything that Dunn stands against, like garish cinematography, uh, uh, franchise starting. Movies based, based on fucking like inanimate objects. <laughs> yeah, theme park rides. Like, yeah, like what's next? A fucking movie based on uh, that um, evil haunted, uh, that haunted elevator. Like, get a out movie of here. about Legos. Oh wait, they did that. Ooh, yeah, and I've never seen it. <laughs> hey, you don't need to. It's that I movie. It was it, for, I heard it was fun. Um, yeah, it's fine. It's fine, but it's also evil, evil. So, fun. this movie comes out on DVD in the mm -hmm. fall of two thousand three. We had, I remember we had this big snowstorm in Seattle, mm. and my roommate and I grabbed a sled and walked to the grocery store, and there was a video store in the same lot. Our ostensible goal in 2003, naturally, was to get like a case of beer to put on that sled and some frozen pizzas to walk back to the house with. <laughs> Stop the video store, too. We both heard. We were like, I heard this was actually pretty good. We rented it. Mm-hmm. We crushed some frozen pizzas. We crushed some like some sort of light or ice beer um, mm. and watched Pirates of the Caribbean and had a grand old time. We were pleasantly surprised by the entire thing. Yeah. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a really fun time. And it's when we fun... watched it, yeah. I ended up buying my aforementioned dusty DVD because mm, yeah. I, I liked it so much. 
Another another one of those mis unused DVDs just waiting to be used by Don. But I think like it's an interesting thing about this one is that like you know obviously mm -hmm. it's had like four sequels. Mm. It became this like pop cultural sensation, mm -hmm. but it also be was the beginning of the end for Johnny Depp. Yeah, it was and that the... struck me the most. This screen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a tinge it was, of melancholy watching it. God, it is like the like the bor the boratification of Johnny De the 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 flanderization. Just him going from like a um an actor who could act like a normal man to uh I gotta have a weird thing. I and I think he really thinks he's Jack Sparrow. At oh this God, that's you, not. You... Yeah. Did you ever I mean, read that? Like, there's like a Rolling Stone article yeah, I, read I, read, I read. Yeah, and it's painting such truly grim. Just the yeah. grimmest. Yeah, just like you don't want to be in this guy's headspace. Yeah, <laughs> ever, ever. I think uh, or near him. Yeah, or near him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but it's, it's just diffi a difficult thing. But in the in the more innocent days of 2003, what yeah. this was viewed at was simply a deeply outside the box choice. For well, a guy to play the leading role in this massive Bruckheimer blockbuster. Well, and I think the thing, too, is, like, it kind of reminds me, it's like Shrek in the sense of, like, it's very Shrekian. Um, we're mm. in a coined right now, because uh, I'm a Shrek scholar. But uh, yep. One of the premier. <laughs> one of the premier, yeah. I work at Tufts. I'm Tufts Shrek scholar. But uh, um, every college needs a Shrek scholar. You're like but, that uh, Stephen Tobolowsky on Community. Uh, the real question is, who was the boss? <laughs> It's me, but um, but uh, it's like it's, it's a thing that felt like a breath of fresh air in the moment because it hadn't yeah. been done, but will soon, but was soon going to be overdone ad nauseum, like completely. And and all like you know, and what we were kind of getting at the beginning of this episode is this like Bruckheimer being on the cutting edge of these yeah. like blockbusters, and even like like going back to Lord of the Rings, it's like those first three when you watch them, you're like, oh wow. That was magnificent. Beginning, middle, and end. I like that. And then they announce more. And you're like, <sighs> Yeah. I don't care. I, don't care. I didn't even I didn't even need to go back to this one, man. Like no. I, when this movie finished up, I was like, I'm satisfied. I don't need more. It's a one and done movie. Yeah. But it wasn't. Spoiler, no. it wasn't. Mm -hmm. We're not gonna be covering the sequels, by the way. I don't no, want we're to. Good. I'm not interested. Yeah. This is Although enough. I am like I do think uh, I I think the second one's my personal favorite just because I think I do, the, I do agree like this world is neat yeah but, you know it is a neat place well and it's sure. like you know what this is like this era felt like the last like this and Lord of the Rings and maybe to a lesser expense Spider Man if it, it feels like these were like block the last time blockbusters felt tactile yes. and like had lived yeah, in sets right. and like yeah. it was so much fun just like watching like like they designed they made crazy pirate coves they made weird pirate cities like also not like focus grouped and algorithmed to death weird like, yeah like they bring in Gore Verbinski who has like a very strong idea of what this should be. Well, and, and so does like, like Peter Jackson and, and Sam Raimi. They're yeah. all like that same, like they're zany. They're weird. They have, uh, uh, oh, God, they're, they're not like, just some like, you know, you couldn't tell me, I couldn't tell you who directed 
some of these like the Marvel, some of the Marvel movies. Well, half the, ha- yeah, half the time they either get like someone who's too green to have his own style or they straight up just get like a, a BFX dude at this point. That's like mm-hmm. the other option at this point. Like they get a guy who like the guy who directed Bloodshot, he he directed the cutscenes for Call of Duty games. That was what he did before Bloodshot. Yeah. So that's like that's how grim things have gotten. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of the new person in yeah. this realm. And it isn't these weird music video directors, these like mm-hmm. swinging dick music video directors anymore. It's like company yes men. Yeah, like or the lunatic, were. or the yeah, or the lunatic nerds that are like making like you know like like Peter Jackson when he was making Bad Taste, he like baked like the costumes in his like mother's oven or something like that in order to yeah, get them right. Well, like he was doing yeah, like people. But I mean, even like thing, like there was a huge independent success last year. This horror movie called Terrifier Two. I don't know if mm-hmm. you've heard about it. It's oh like, yeah, uh, really purposely like gross movie. Mm-hmm. Like, but cool. Like, awesome. The director, yeah. though, like, what I want to see, we've talked about him, like, this is a guy who was diving in and helping with the makeup effects and doing the gore himself and stuff like that. And, like, you're right, like, that tactile, like, I send pictures out to you guys all the time of, like, Michael Bay on set with, like, his cargo pants and shit hanging out of him and, like, his, like, the camera on his shoulder with his, like, hat backwards. And you're like, hell yeah, player. Get into it. Like, yeah, I want to be James Cameron. Like, we're sending up a helicopter and we're going to grab Jamie Lee Curtis out of that limo in True Lies. We can only fit this many people in the helicopter. Cameron looks over the camera for her. He's like, take a hike. I'm doing it. Like, I mean, you know? that's the thing. Something's happened where, like, it's like you feel like the director's, um, and maybe it's not true, but it feels like so much of it as we become increasingly more reliant on technology and CGI, we lose that, like, tactile feel and when you lose that element of the director who's willing to get into the dirt like yeah. it's so much harder to get into the dirt when it's like cgi michigas yeah but and i think like there's literally no chance for a pirates of the caribbean movie to sneak up on audiences and be actually good like mm-hmm. they're either gonna be they're all gonna be serviceable at this mm-hmm. point they're not gonna be like wow pirates of the caribbean feels like an indiana jones like like exciting what a good adventure romp this movie mm-hmm. is and i think um being surprised by that like i think i guess it can occasionally happen like you know and i haven't seen many of these movies but like i know people said that about that lego movie people have said that about that um animated spider-man movie oh yeah yeah that was um, all right that was a good film but they like there this can occasionally happen but these are so pre-packaged at this point yeah. and it's like they're like too big to fail i guess would be the way to put it Well, it's like they're not, yeah, there's like literally just no, like everyone is so risk averse nowadays that Mm. it just truly feels like you're never going to get something even like there's like another Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie coming out or whatever. I do not understand these live action remakes at all. Oh, God. I don't understand it. God bless all the people who are trying their best. I have no problem with any of that. I don't understand the appeal in general. No, of any the, of it. Like those movies were charming because of the animation. You're taking the charming the and thing that made the them charming. Exact same story. Yeah, but like, worse. Like with worse songs and worse. Like and in... it looks bad. Like, yes. It's a, like it like murky and like nobody knows how to use color anymore and all that well, except for James and... Cameron. Nobody knows about color. <laughs> and, 
And like, and then all the animals, like none of them are like stylized. So you have these like super realistic looking crabs like singing, and it's like it just looks bad. It's weird. It's weird. It's It's not like yeah, like you know, part of why the animation is great is because you can stylize a crab and give him like a face and a smile, as as opposed to like you know a weird CGI freak crab that is like you know just looks like a crab. Yeah, like why am I gonna go to the movies to watch the exact same thing? Mm-mm. It's just diff, but just like looks a little differently. Looks worse, but looks worse. It's yeah, man. It's wild. So um, they began developing the script in 2001. Jay Wolpert direct wrote the first draft. Stuart mm-hmm. Beatty came in and rewrote it around early 2002. And then the, around this is the time when Jerry Bruckheimer became involved, and he brought in Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio. Of course, take a listen to our Deja Vu episode to hear more about those fellas. Mm-hmm. Deja Vu was their alright we got the keys to the kingdom movie which of course Tony Scott took over and just made it a Tony Scott joint <laughs> which <laughs> the more the better <laughs> uh, filming they filmed in October of 2002 to March of 2003 mm-hmm. and then this was released actually in July of 2003 so they must have done some reshoots I, I don't know that pressure to be on the line I know that they did reshoots on Barbie like Three weeks ago. Oh wow! Like that's and that's a regular thing in a lot of these movies. After you do test screenings and stuff like that, and like I, ooh, talk about pressure. It's, <laughs> it's rough. It's it sucks. It sucks to be, you know. And if you feel bad, slag. God, now I feel a little bad slagging Pearl Harbor as much as I did. But it's like it's crazy. Yeah. It's like you have like two hundred million dollars on the line, or a hundred million, or whatever. And yeah, they expect the best, and it's mm-hmm. sucks when you can't deliver. Yeah, it's crazy. You really, yeah, you put, you put, you have to deliver. Yep, you got to deliver. Uh, so the background on this, of course, this is based on the ride at Disneyland by the Caribbean, mm-hmm. which Patrick and I agree is a top five ride. At oh, Disneyland. it rules! I love it. Well, it's great. Love it. Love it. Well, what's great about it is it's a great like. Um, it's always cool in there. Are you a? Um, I know it feels good. Like yeah, uh, it's like it gets you out of the sun. Feels great. Mm-hmm. I've only so I've only been to Disneyland uh, once. Mm. I went um, a few times as a kid, and I've been once since living down here. Yeah, I had a friend. Uh, shout out to my good friend Jason Sagala, who sometimes listens to the podcast. He uh, works for um, uh, he works at AMC, and uh, he, there was when he was in town for a conference, uh, like a week, like a month before COVID started. It was so crazy. Like it was like we were like I, I, can't, I went at the, the last time you could go to like Disneyland pre uh, pandemic. Wow. Yeah, but it was uh, did Splash Mountain did all the good, all the all the classics, the to- the Toad and Frog ride where you go to hell at the end yeah, of it. That's good that's stuff. Probably, yeah, that's good. It's good stuff. Good stuff. But there's, not, a... but there's not a lot of content there. I'm a fan of those kind of rides far more than I'm not a roller coaster guy. Oh, same here. I'm a I'm a coaster coward. Oh, co- hashtag coaster cowards. Coaster is, coward nation. Yeah, I totally. <laughs> like I'm sit, I'm gonna take a seat and have a churro. Yeah, no. And I'm, you can go hold your wallet while you go on the ride. Like I'm, I'm not gonna, going on that ride. I, I'm gonna be going to the Star Wars land to eat the their weird, you know, Star Wars food that's basically a shawarma. Yeah, I'm like I, I get distracted, like wow, turkey legs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's more my speed. Yeah, yeah. it's more my speed too. <laughs> and, uh, they caused the question: Do they serve beer at Disneyland? <laughs> like, yeah, like, 
Um, but I love Pir- I love Pirates of the Caribbean. I think it's a delightful ride. Yeah. Apparently, other people did too because they're like, we're gonna make a movie out of it. Yeah. But all it, those uh, all those animatronics are great. This was considered a dead genre at this point. Uh, yeah. Lingering stench of Cutthroat Island from Brutal. the mid nineties. Career uh, murderer. Career murderer on a lot of sides. I I've never seen it. I'd love to see it. Maybe a oh, man that could be a fun. Uh, you know, maybe if we one one off, maybe maybe. Uh, so it was consider uh, like oh a theme park ride and a dead genre the swashbuckler, um, mm-hmm. scary. Uh, so Bruckheimer felt was nervous and he did not want a straight pirate movie. So Terry uh, Rossio and Elliot they came up with the concept of bringing the supernatural to it, which mm-hmm. got Bruckheimer's attention because that's a big you know different kind of spin to it i actually think this movie has some like legitimate horror movie elements to it oh for sure yeah uh so they disney could didn't know if they should be a direct-to-video movie or put in the theaters when they were first developing it uh they thought their initial choice for the lead pirate character was matthew mcconaughey which All right, all right, all right. I see it. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if anybody lives the pirate lifestyle, it's it's Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> oh, for sure. I saw another alternate casting that was ludicrous too. Was this uh, our man Christopher Walken? Yes. Yes. Which, which I like too. Well. <laughs> too old, but I don't care. Give. I want to see <laughs> insane. Like, I, I, I would have liked to see him as Captain Barbosa, to be perfectly honest. Ooh, he'd be a good Barbosa. Although, so Barbosa Although that we have. the Barbosa we have is fine indeed. Yeah. Uh, then it, they started building it up, and once Bruckheimer came on board, Bruckheimer's not a straight to video guy. We're making a big movie here. Mm-mm. So in 2002, they sign on Gore Verbitsky to direct it. Uh, Gore Verbitsky was um, coming off of. He had directed three movies prior to this. He was a music video guy. Also, it was like in punk bands, like the in his early like initial venture into the entertainment industry. And he's an interesting guy because I was thinking about him because like when he came up when we were talking about him off the air a few weeks ago, and when he comes up with anyone when you're in conversation about it, everyone always goes, "Yeah, he's a good director." And like it's an interesting thing because like looking at his filmography, like it wouldn't necessarily scream that, but everyone mm-hmm. seems to be in agreement. He's a good director, myself included. <laughs> like, yeah, he has. It's like it's funny because like yeah, he doesn't have like like what's like is Pirates of the Caribbean maybe his most? Um, it's like I mean, this or he, the Ring, right? Yeah, he did the Ring remake. People seem to really love that Rango movie, uh, oh. the animated one, which of course, of course, I've never seen. <laughs> mm. But even like theater, my sir. Even like the Lone Ranger has its like adherence. Like I know Tarantino likes the Lone Ranger a lot. Um, Yeah, and it's just uh, probably some people like the Weatherman Mm -hmm. um, a lot. Interesting guy though. Uh, Directed a lot of cool music videos too. Directed like Bad Religion and Monster Magnet and shit like that. (laughs) Wow, that's interesting. So he like hung out with cool folks. He seems cool. Like, in general, he seems like a cool guy. He won the Academy Award for Best Animated Feature for Rango in 2012, oh. too. 
Um, but in, so he signs on. He's coming off of the ring mm-hmm. in 2002. Massive smash. Here's a cinematic confession, Patrick. I've never seen it. Whoa. I know all about it. I know the cultural references and the girl on the TV and stuff like that. And like you watch that video and you're dead, you know, in whatever time period. Never mm-hmm. seen it. Did you just like, were you just not turned off by it? Like, this was like too many people. No, I just it? missed it. Just missed Ooh. it. Like, I was hip to the Japanese version, all that. I just missed it. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know why. Yeah, Heard it was good. Fair. Everyone liked yeah. it. I and like I, it. It's not, a, it's not, a, and I'm not usually a big horror guy, but I, I want to see movie. it. I want to see it someday. Maybe, maybe tonight. Who knows if I don't watch air? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, he's on board and his dream for the project is to do a um he wanted to balance golden age of hollywood like style with modern tech do some cool stuff and they do do some cool stuff in this like i think it's still impressive that scene where they're sword fighting and they go through shadow to shadow and they go from ghost skeleton to themselves and back and forth oh like it's a great effect it looks good all the like I will say that, like, all the practical effects still hold up perfectly. And even mm-hmm. if, like, the CGI doesn't always hold up perfectly, I think that, like, number one, very savvy of them to make it a moonlight thing because when it's, like, darker, yeah. the visual effects can be a little uh, less, uh, you know, that doesn't have to be as, like, detail-oriented and it can still get pulled uh, work. And then um, the other thing is, like, they're just so stylistically interesting Mm-hmm. that like it's like they're stylized so even if they like have like aged a little bit like it's not that big of it like it's still well they still look artistically i unique thought the it. worst cgi was there was a scene where kira knightley was in her like bedroom and it was a clear green screen the entire window and view outside and i thought that was the worst looking thing in this movie yeah that's like that well god and the problem with movie a lot of movies nowadays is that's like the whole it's movie the nowadays yeah. yeah yeah see that's the thing is like the yeah, and it looks at bad. least it looks bad. Yeah. Uh, so he was on board, and then so they so basically we need to find our leading pirate character, Captain Jack Sparrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, roguish, charming. Is he good? Is he bad? Fun time mm-hmm. guy. Big leading role. They took a look at Jim Carrey next. <laughs> uh, oh my god! It conflicted with his shooting schedule for Bruce Almighty. They also, again, looked at Christopher, brought back Christopher Walken mm-hmm. as a thought process. And they also thought about, and I like this a lot, Michael Keaton was considered. Ooh, man. Would, They're all would... like, very fun. Very, all very fun options. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have got a battle between the guy we mentioned, Dick Cook, who is the head of production at Apple or Apple Disney. It's all the same. <laughs> um, I'm thinking Tim Cook. Um, he was like, we got to turn these rides into movies, baby. <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, but had Michael Eisner, Disney legend, was like, people are going to smell this shit from a mile away. <laughs> like, <laughs> and he, there is some value to that thought process that he tried to shut down production on Pirates of the Caribbean at this time. Mm-hmm. He was like, let's not do it. Gore Verbinski though, kept working on it. Like, and told all of his artists to keep going. He's like, we will find a way. We will, it will, we will show them how good this could be. Mm-hmm. 
again, this kind of gets back to like he cared. He was passionate about getting yeah. this right and making a cool, cool movie. So I guess like they brought Eisner in for a visit and Verbinski gave him a tour of all they've been working on. And Eisner was like, okay, we might have something here. <laughs> let's, let's yeah, get I it. mean, I think like the thing is like Gore's like one of those type of guys are like, he cares. It's just like, it's just a matter of caring and like putting the work, he puts the work into it. Like you I feel like, like you're in good hands with him. Thinking about his like punk rock history and ethos. He saw an opportunity here to make like a rollicking, almost punk in a sense, blockbuster. Mm-hmm. Like, and so apparently, I guess Eisner was still though, like, man, this movie's getting really expensive. And he asked Bruckheimer, like, why does it have to cost so much? And Bruckheimer simply responded, your competition is spending $150 million. I'm talking Lord of the Rings. I'm talking The Matrix. Mm. And Eisner, though, is still like so concerned that he requested overt references to the ride to be removed from the script. Oh, man. Which, again, as we kind of got to my personal taste, I'm like, I agree. <laughs> like, let's, let's, let's little, like, callbacks to the stupid, to the ride as possible. Yeah, exactly. That's not the, yeah, like, we don't need, like, a little wink. Uh, link. Like, I think that's, like, the nice thing about this is, like, you have you don't have to know anything about the material it's based on in any capacity. You can go in completely unknowledgeable. Like I didn't know anything about the Pirates of the Caribbean ride pre this movie. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and I don't know where it's connected. Although I did, I hated that they added Jack Sparrow to the ride. Thought that was stupid. yeah, that does suck. I hate that there's like an animatronic like that. That's yeah, that's a little weak, a little sweaty. It's a little sweaty yeah, on Disney's end. It is. Um, apparently. Um... It's also a big influence from these like Monkey Island video games. Oh yeah, those are good, LeChuck. Yep. And I guess um Ted Elliott was allegedly writing an adaptation of Monkey Island, which got canceled three years prior to Curse of the Black Pearl. And uh they feel that some elements of Monkey Island and his adaptation did drift their way to Grizzleback Pearl. That's totally fair. I can um, see that. So Verbinski saw this film as historical fantasy is what he called it um, and kind of built it from there. They shot a lot of good location stuff. They went they um, brought in boats from all over the world. They shot in California, but they also shot in like Caribbean near Caribbean islands for this thing. Mm. And it does give you that feel. The boats are side by side. When they're out there on the water, when they're out there on the islands, you feel like, oh, Johnny Depp's there on this mm-hmm. island. Keira Knightley's there on this island. It's a good vibe. Um, it was a relatively clean shoot, too. They did not have a um, ton of issues. Everybody kind of did their thing. Um, so the basic storyline of this movie is pretty simple. Jack Sparrow is a gallivanting pirate of the Caribbean. <laughs> Who gets involved in a world of who needs a boat? Who wants his boat back? We're introduced to him in a very hilarious sequence as he seemingly is coming in heroically, but it turns out he's on a sinking ship. And he kind of, <laughs> it's very, very nice moment. Yeah, it's good, good, like good, like physical comedy stuff. Physical comedy stuff. He um, gets involved in the world of these these British governors, the stuffy ass, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Christopher Columbus wannabes. <laughs> um, <laughs> they um and he meets Will Turner, who's a young swordsman. Mm-hmm. And uh, the interesting thing here is that basically when they discovered the casting on Jack Sparrow and some of the choices that this man was going to make, they essentially dressed up Will Turner as Errol Flynn just so the audiences could be like, okay, he looks like what I know from pirate movies. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, we need a guy who looks just like an old-timey movie star. And yeah. Will is in love with the rich daughter of the governor. Elizabeth Swan, mm-hmm. who wears a pirate medallion somehow. And they this movie is about I think that what this movie is about is negotiations. <laughs> yeah. this, this movie is a series of schemes and negotiations. And it's just like, I agree on it. I agree on it. Then somebody doesn't agree on it. And we get involved in it with ghost pirates led by Captain Barbosa, who are part of the Black Pearl, Captain Jack's old ship that he wants back. Captain Jack wants his ship back. Elizabeth gets kidnapped by the ghost pirates. Will wants to save the day and be the hero to her and marry her. The British, they're, they seem like Commander Norrington, Captain Norrington, who seems to live his life only one way. He hates pirates. Mm. Being a stuffy asshole who hates pirates. He's a real uh he's a real John Ashton in Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. And then um just advent basically, you know, adventure ensues. Yeah. Like it's just comedy and adventure and good times ensue. And it is a good time. It's super fun. Like, it's it a, was a very time. It's a very fun movie. Um so to get to the casting. Johnny Depp is cast in the role, ends up being cast in the role of Jack Sparrow. Now, in mm-hmm. the moment... Oh, interesting one, too, is that in the original script um, that uh, the original writers wrote, Hugh Jackman was the person they had in mind. but Hugh, And that's why his name is Jack Sparrow. Wow. But Hugh Jackman was not famous yet. Mm. When they first wrote this script, he had not done X-Men yet. And so he was never going to get the part. So Johnny Depp, of course, you know, everyone knows this. Basis is this role on Keith Richards. <laughs> and it just goes all out yeah. with all sorts of weird, insane choices. Johnny Depp is not known for box office at this point. He is not known as a blockbuster star. Mm-hmm. He's a known as this quirky guy who's in Tim Burton movies and stuff yeah. like that. He's hanging out with Jim Jarmusch. Yeah, yeah, he's like an arty actor. Bro, yeah. yeah, sort of. You know, Kinda, yeah. <laughs> um, And so it was like this added to the Disney people being a little nervous about this entire, the prospects of this entire thing. So we've got and they were confused apparently whether and they literally asked Johnny Depp is your character drunk or gay? And oh <laughs> and I like the fact that he plays Jack. To me, Jack Sparrow seems like I'm up for anything. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's, his, like a... he's a sexually fluid guy. Oh yeah, <laughs> no, he's like uh, Gary Oldman's The Devil. He's having yeah. a good. Yeah, he's having a raucous time. And apparently, during dailies, Michael Eisner even screamed at the screen. He's ruining the film. 
little did they know. <laughs> uh, and I guess Jerry Bruckheimer found some of the choices even a little on the edge of what he would prefer. They did not like the fact that he uglied up so much. Mm. The teeth, the, the long hair, like all of it were all Johnny building out. Yeah, he looks like he smells. Like, this yes. character looks so smelly. Like, kudos to the, them. And he's flamboyant and wild and you name mm-hmm. it. Um, I, uh, but we'll get to what history thought of this in just a moment. Um, but it's a wild, fully committed performance, as everyone knows. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a role of the villain Captain Barbosa, um, Jeffrey Rush plays the role. Mm-hmm. Uh, he um, he felt he was playing the unsung hero of the film. He played it as only good as you should as a bad guy. Never believe you're actually a bad guy. You know that's like yeah. the, his, the historic baddies are doing it because they think they're actually doing the right thing. Like Trump doesn't think he's a bad guy. No, he thinks he's cool. Yeah, he thinks he's cool, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I guess he Rush was the second choice. To they wanted Robert De Niro to play Barbosa, but De Niro yeah. turned it down because he's like pirate films suck. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know what? Like uh, I'm just glad because like he wouldn't have been the right fit in my. I don't know unless he like has like a crazy pirate accent just hiding within him, which maybe he does. I don't know. Yeah, uh, playing the role of Will Turner is of course Orlando Bloom, Kingdom mm-hmm. of Heavens, Orlando Bloom, and he gets to play because Johnny Depp. I think they rightfully noticed this because Johnny Depp is going to not do anything in the traditional manner. Mm. They need a guy and they need a classical romantic hero. Right. Great to call to have two heroes in the Mm. movie, I think because you allow Johnny Depp to be heroic, but also kind of out there. Yeah. He's a scallywag. Yeah. And so, um, Orlando Bloom plays in the role of Will Turner, Toby Maguire, Jude Law, Owen McGregor, Christian Bale, Heath Ledger, all considered for the role. Wow. Tom Hiddleston apparently auditioned for it. And um Man. Yeah, uh, but Orlando Bloom has it. Uh playing the role of Elizabeth Spawn is um Kieran Knightley. I was looking at the math, she was like 17, 18 years old when she did this. Oh my god. Oh yeah, because she's like She's so young. Like, Is it like fresh off a of bend at like Beckham or whatever? Yeah, and Man. apparently Gore Verbinski had never seen that. And that was like her breakout thing, and she just auditioned, and he liked her. Wow. Like, yeah. So That is crazy. And it's weird how these – it's interesting how these things come together. Uh, there's she's a lot of, actually really good in the movie. Like, she's she's like she, yeah. I think she's like one of my – she's an underrated actor. She's like – she's had like, given some stealthily – good performances like i think she's yeah. the best part of that alan turing movie i remember um ben rogers on the action boys podcast said something very interesting about her he's like she's she's one of those people who's so beautiful that it's hard to see beyond that and she's like so striking that you're like oh wait She's doing stuff. There's depth. There's all this kind of thing. But you're like so taken aback. Like, wow, she's like pretty. <laughs> you know, it's like, and yeah. it's unfortunate because obviously she's done a lot of good work and all that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And there's more, 
What's the Brad Pitt conundrum? Like, it's just... oh yeah, yeah. It's like yeah, like Brad Pitt spent ten years dealing with that. <laughs> yeah, it took her. It took her a while to find like you know the uh, you know like the 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 David Cronenberg movies and the yeah. and, the and other, she had like... to like push for it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, other people in this: Jack Davenport plays the dastardly Norrington, the actual villain of the mm. movie. Zoe Saldana, I did not even remember, was in the damn movie. She's in it yeah. as one of the as one of the pirates. Uh, Jonathan Price is Governor Swan, Elizabeth's father, and apparently Tom Wilkinson, uh, bread, Mr. Bread himself. What a bread. Mm, what a bread. Shiva. They wanted him, but apparently Johnny Depp claimed Jonathan Price is his idol, and he wanted him in the movie, and that's how he, that's how he ended up. That, damn. <laughs> and yeah, it's like, so this is just like all of that, though, when you describe it, like, if you're sitting there in 2002, it isn't like you, we can look back on this in retrospect and feel, oh, it's all a sure thing. Yeah. That none of that's a sure thing. No. Gore Verbinski never made a movie this big, mm-hmm. you know, down the line. But somehow, you know, this movie, uh, we shouldn't mention to, um, little bit of below the line Darius Wolski who works with Ridley all the time was the cinematographer on it but we want to give a good shout out I'd like to at least to Klaus Badet who did the score which wow. is one of the more iconic scores of well, the era and, I would and it's like it really is a good score well it's a great score and then on top of that like you compare it to like the like it's it's a it's like a it kind of has like that timeless quality to the score. Like there's like this like it feels like um, yeah there's an old school element to it, but it doesn't feel like um it's not like the Pearl Harbor score, which felt like a rehash. And like, that was a Hans Zimmer one, by the way. We didn't mention that, but yeah, yeah. Like it just yeah, it was just yeah, it's like just a killer killer score. Yeah, it's great, it's terrific. Uh, so they spent 140 million dollars on this movie, mm-hmm. and. Everyone is nervous. Mm. <laughs> what is it like? It, it's PG thirteen. It's a pirate movie. It's a little scary. It's it about ghosts. It's this weird ass Johnny Depp performance at the top of it, who's known as not a box office guy. Pirate movies are pirate movies. All of this thing mm. before it was released, many journalists predicted it to be a total flop. Hmm. Pirate movies aren't successful. It's based on a freaking ride. Johnny yeah. Depp is a cult actor. Like all of these things. Yeah, and he's doing like insane, like he's doing a fucking Keith Richards impression. This is bizarre. This is bizarre. Yeah. And he very flamboyant, you know, at a time when, you know, not not that people are as open to it now, but people are not open to yeah. these things at all in 2003. No. So it opens July 9th of 2003. It is the 4th of July weekend movie, too. Man. Give or take. Um, what's going to happen? Well, it opens at number one and has a $70 million opening launch. Mm-hmm. It was overtaken the very next weekend in the second weekend by Bad Boys 2. But still made thirty four million. It eventually makes six hundred and fifty four more than Pearl Harbor. Six hundred fifty four million dollars. Six hundred. Uh, 
a lot of money. I'm sorry. My money stopped working there. $654.3 million on a $140 million budget. It's a cultural smash and sensation, mm-hmm. too. It's the fourth highest grossing movie of the year. Um, it dominated the worldwide box office, too. It's uh, mm-hmm. absolute sensation. Everyone who saw it, it had the best reviews than a movie can get, I think, which is the word of mouth. You won't believe it. It's actually good. <laughs> it was the, like mm-hmm. what everyone was saying. That's what we were saying at the top of this conversation. Like, I can't believe it. you saw it a bunch of times. You are the perfect age to see yeah. it a bunch of times. Like, oh, it's, yeah, it's a smash. Um, 80% on Rotten Tomatoes approval rating. Got good reviews, too. Uh, Critical consensus. It may leave you exhausted like the theme park ride that inspired it. However, you'll have a good time when it's over. Of course, this movie's too long. This movie's two and a half hours long. Of course, it's padded and it's way too fucking long. It could have been a wonderful 115 minutes. Yeah. Too many of those negotiations, man. Yeah. A lot of, like, side... in I, it's part of the charm of the movie to me is like so many side characters and weird like guys that they give lines to like the recurring like soldiers the recurring yeah. pirates like so many fun there's a lot of fun characters in this movie the general consensus was uh this was the best blockbuster of the summer uh it was truly acclaimed ebert liked it um to the point where oh and the key to all of this was that everyone had their freaking minds blown by Johnny Depp as Jack Sparrow. Like, Yeah, it was straight up a sensation. It is like, it was kind of like, you know, like it came out, what, 2003? Right? Yeah. Yeah, it's like, yeah, this was like the summer of like American Idiot and Johnny Depp. These were like yeah. the two biggest cultural... <laughs> and Johnny Depp now is more than a cult actor. He's the number one, like, for five or six years. Just blockbuster star too yeah to the point where and this led to all of those and we've brought them up before the weirdest people online the tried and true johnny depp defender mm-hmm. there's like a ludicrous i don't know what it is it's kind of like they have like people have like it's what's that like you know you read about how um there's like some sort of fungus that cats give you or whatever like toxoplasmosis or whatever yeah. we're like uh you suddenly become more you like it's like it's like you, you love your cat more because of this or so I can't quite remember the specifics yeah. of it. I might add it, but like I feel like people have that for death. Oh, it's like, they, like the people who went into remember that movie Annihilation? The people who went into the that, that like yeah. that jungle world that they go into with that. That's like <laughs> you know, don't come back the same. They're like Oscar Isaac when he reemerges from that in that movie. <laughs> oh no. Like, if there's too much was going on, I shouldn't remember. I even read those books, good books. Um, yeah, Vandermeer. Yeah, and they love the guy. They, yes. Like, the only comparable fandom is Michael Jackson fans, I think. It, 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 you are 100%. It is that, like, and it's so weird because there's no other actor that, like, at least in on the state side, that, like, I don't think Brad Pitt, like, draws no, that so. level. Yeah, surely not, like, any other, the big, you know, Chris Pratt's not getting that. No. So, yeah, it's so, just, like, it's, it's like, weird. yeah, the. Uh, yeah, and I, I think it's these, like, wild character. I don't know, but, yeah, and, uh, you know, we mentioned earlier, there's, like, both of us felt it, I think, like, this melancholy watching this movie, because it is, like, it is so fun and exciting, but it's also, like, you you know 
what happened in the next 20 years. Yeah. And it's a, it's depressing. It's We're just, so, you know, it's grim. It is grim. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, yeah, this was a hundred percent like the beginning of the end for sure. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. But at this, it was riding high to the point where he got nominated for best actor at the Academy Awards Ludicrous. for this role, which had like retrospect, like what? It's so weird. It is like, and it's not like he's, it's funny. It is kind of like, I do find it like more annoying this time. Because maybe it's just because I've seen it so many times already. Well, that's and, the like, thing. It's, it's, there's no surprise to it anymore. And we know what happened in the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. It's harder to watch now, which is sad. Yeah. It should stand. But I guess that's the way movies are. They kind of have Yeah, this... for sure. Well, it's like the same way that like, yeah, Borat. Like, you know, that when you first watch that movie, you're blown away. But then like, yeah, that shtick gets pretty old pretty yeah. yeah it's like milk and curdles but uh but at yeah, the time it's... boy oh boy oh. oh america had pirate fever america had pirate fever this was uh we had it was also nominated for best sound editing best sound mixing mm-hmm. um it was uh i assume visual effects i'm getting through the academy award yes visual effects and ba- and makeup um this was of course though the year that Return of the King came out. So yeah, no, none of that none of that matters. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, they were getting theirs. Yep. <laughs> but I also feel because this was they still were doing the five nominees for Best Picture in mm-hmm. 2003. If we were at the stage where they had 10 nominees, this would have been nominated for Best Picture. 100%. Absolutely. That's kind of same cultural level if you want to comp to our younger listeners. Um that Top Gun Maverick had last year. The exact same. Yeah. Cultural reaction. Like, people are into it, man. You're right. Fire Fever. People loved it. People love this movie. And they yeah, made well, so many, like, they they ran it to the ground. They loved it so yeah. much. Well, it's like they, uh, yeah, they milked that. Yeah, because it's like you have, like, the first three that are Gore Verbinski's, but then they got, like, Rob Marshall. It's interesting. Following those movies, you kind of see how, like, the block world of blockbusters has changed because going from like Gore Verbinski to Rob Marshall to like the guys that made Contiki. Yeah. Who were cheap, yeah, like, who are cheap and wanted the, you know, and could yeah, get the guns. job done. Yeah. And yeah. With, like exactly what they're using now, you have one independent movie, you make a movie like safety, not guaranteed. And your next movie is Jurassic park, which is like, maybe is there insane. should be some, yeah, there should, there should be, be some... you've got to have like, you know, would tell you that first and foremost, Christopher Nolan. He yeah. his trajectory was the correct one. Mm-hmm. Memento, Insomnia, Batman Begins. You don't do okay. Memento to Batman Begins, which is what they would do now. One hundred percent was what they would do now. You got to get some seasoning, man. You got to develop your identity. You got to work with the by being by doing a mid range movie, your first studio movie, but having to deal with both Al Pacino and Robin Williams. Go back and listen to our Insomnia episode. That's a proving that's a proving ground though. Yeah, it is. I can make a fucking Batman movie. I've dealt with those guys. Like, yeah, but you can deal with yeah, if you can deal with Al Pacino, like And riffing with Robin Williams nonstop, I imagine. Mm, yeah. yeah. And there should be this. That's why I like Gore Verbinski you know, we said he hadn't made a giant movie, but he made The Ring. He would made The Mexican with Brad Pitt and Julia Roberts. He dealt with yeah. huge stars. Like, like he built up to it. 
Mm -hmm. I think you like you get you're gonna get better movies if you get a shot to do these mid range movies that they don't make anymore, you know at all. Yeah. Anyway, Pirates of the Caribbean stands out as a gem, no. Mm -hmm. But it, and it gave Jerry Bruckheimer a franchise he had not had before yeah. this time. And I talk about being ahead of the game. He recognized I need a franchise if I'm going to keep going. Like yeah. Those of us, you know, we love our Crimson Tides and our deja vus, but he, Jerry saw the writing on the wall, what the mm -hmm. future looked like. I need this. And he got it and it made, made him a billionaire. Like this, <laughs> this thing put him over the top making this thing. And he tried some others, you know, over the years and he still has bad boys. That's another franchise too. Speaking mm -hmm. of which, and he tried a few others over the years, including our next film that we're going to talk about. Um, but this one stands as his like he, this is his Harry Potter. This is his Star Wars. This is, you know. Oh yeah. And we have not seen well, the last. We've, well, we've this not, is... we have not seen the last of Pirates of the Caribbean. Well, I think this also is like the film that kind of ushered in the final era. Like this is like the late we've now entered a new era of Bruckheimer. This Absolutely. Is like a... I agree. It's family friendly blockbusters. Yeah. Is his next stage. He's not making Thief of Hearts again. Never. Yeah. Much to our chagrin. Yeah, as much as we you know, love that. He's not going to make something as like nasty as like Flashdance or Beverly Hills Cop or something no. like that. Like yeah. Don Simpson is dead. Mm -hmm. You know, and Jerry has found, you know, this is it. Like, because I would argue even Rock and Con Air, Enemy of the mm -hmm. State, Armageddon, there's still a whiff of the Simpsonian uh, style there. It's yeah. gone by Pearl Harbor and Pirates of the Caribbean and our next movie. Up. Mm -hmm. But if you haven't watched Pirates of the Caribbean lately, um, it's worthwhile. Fun time. If you can yeah. get over grim vibes about what became of Johnny Depp. <laughs> which some people can't. I don't think some people can. Yeah. Although Jerry Bruckheimer has said he would welcome Johnny Depp back to the franchise with open arms, which is wild. Let, I think let, it, let it die. They talked about doing one... Um, with Margot Robbie as the lead pirate. Mm. I think that's that's the direction. Go in that direction. Well, here's yeah. my hot here's my hot take. Um Zoe Saldana, she's only she was only in one of these movies. Yeah. Bring her back. She's like also, super it should big be, now. We should note she is wonderful and amazing, and I see why everyone wants her in their movies. Margot Robbie is not the only actress in Hollywood. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah, we know that. We know that. Yeah. Well she it kind of seems that way. Yeah, sometimes it does feel like, yeah, it does feel like the kids, like, for some reason, it's because she was, I think, my thing is, like, or my theory on the whole thing is, like, she was Harley Quinn, and so then everyone associates her with, like, she's, like, the wild zany role, like, kind of like the roles that they were giving to Jennifer Lawrence before Margot Robbie. That, and, and it, then the Tanya Harding. Yeah. Those, well, those two, it, like, it's a simultaneous, like, one back-to-back uh, -back type thing. Yeah. And we talk about how there's always like only ten guys in Hollywood. Uh, well, apparently there's always <laughs> only like two or three women in Hollywood. It's even worse. Yeah, yeah. It's, there's even less women. Yeah, and, so it's like yeah, let other people like yeah, let let let. You're uh, right. Like Zoe Saldana would be great. Yeah, the lead. But I mean, she's yeah. the lead of the biggest movie ever made. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, bring her back. She's this bring peak. Uh, it's pretty good, perfect synergy. Yeah, do it. It's great. <laughs> And get get another young actor in there with her. Yeah, from there. Get Diogo um, Calvo. Is that the guy from uh, Avalon? I don't know. 
Let's <laughs> get him back there. <laughs> the guy where you drive past the billboard, Brad Pitt, Robbie, who's that guy? <laughs> like, he seems nice. Seems interesting. Like, I don't know him, but he seems interesting. Yeah. Um. So we mentioned uh 2003 banner another banner year for Jerry Pirates Bad Boys Two, mm. Veronica Garen. He tried another prestige thing, not his, not his wheelhouse. But heading into 2004. Jerry releases two pictures in 2004. King Arthur, directed by Antoine Fuqua, which mm. we will be covering at a later date, we promise. Ooh, look, looking forward agenda. to that one. And also, in, in November of 2004, his fall picture, King, King Arthur was his summer picture. You know how Jerry works. He's got a fall and a summer picture. Mm-hmm. November of 2004, November 19th, 2004, Dropped into our laps is National Treasure. <laughs> Directed by John Turtletaub. Screenplay by Jim Kauf, Cormac, Wiberly, and Marianne Wiberly with a story by Jim Kauf, Orrin Avi, and Charles Seegers. This movie does feel like it flipped through a few hands, a few screenwriters along the way. Yeah, and some drafts. And the simple story of this, this is... This is the simplest and dumbest movie we've watched. That doesn't mean it's bad. No. It's the simplest and dumbest this, movie we've this watched. This is the most coconut-headed. This is coconut-on-the-head cinema. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> this, yeah. is, this is some ding-ding-dong cinema. Yeah, this is, this is a dopey-ass <laughs> movie. Like, like... Dork. It's so dorky. It's yeah. so dorky. It's the yeah, dork fucking city movie. Oh god, yeah, movie that need uh, a movie uh, in need of a wedgie. Yeah, so the movie is about Benjamin Franklin Yates, not Button, American historian, historian, cryptographer, and most importantly, treasure hunter. Yes, yes. Benjamin Franklin Gates is, of course, played by the only man for the job, our beloved Nicholas Cage, the Cage Dog. Making it happen. Only the only oh. actor who can play this character. The only man for Literally. the job. I yeah, don't no. see anything else. And he comes from a family of future QAnon followers. Yeah. <laughs> These are all people that 100% grandpa, dad. Yeah, they're I, all on January 6th. I will tell you this, man. I don't know why they adopted White Squall when National Treasure was just sitting there <laughs> waiting it's for just... them. This is such a QAnon movie. I know it's so actually, funny. Actually, I God, I will have to. I have to say, we uh, you should. Everyone should. Um, like QAnon Anonymous. I think they released an episode of their podcast where they talked about this movie. I haven't listened to it. Oh, they. Uh, but so I mean, you name it. Like it is just a mishmash of uh, conspiracy theory, talking points and characters are brought up in this movie in half fast mm-hmm. manner. Are the Knights Templar? Are the Founding Fathers? Are the Freemasons? All of them yeah. involved. I did a little background. I have this book on the history of um, esoterica, cults, secret societies, etc., mm-hmm. etc. Et it's basically like an encyclopedia of gotcha. them. It's really. I I don't have it here at my desk. Ooh. What's it I would, called? I would love to give it a. Sh- that's why I don't remember. Oh, yeah. I'd love to give it a shout out. Uh, but I flipped directly. To the Freemason section, and I flipped directly <laughs> to the uh, Knights Templar section. I and I just wanted to 
because it's confusing. These secret societies are ultra confusing. National mm -hmm. treasure does not help you in any, and it's not really necessary for you to know. They're just buzzwords that like people know. Oh, they're like a Knights Templar. That's a secret society. The Freemasons, they can't be trusted. Benjamin yeah. Franklin was a Freemason. Um, among others. Mm -hmm. Bill Clinton went to young Freemason school when he was like a kid. Interesting. Interesting world. Interesting mm. world. So as a kid, though, um, Ben is told by his grandfather, played by the great Christopher Plummer. He loved to see that. I saw that. I was like, the plum is in this? I yeah. forgot about that. What a guy. Love him. Um, that there's a hidden fabled treasure. Now, what I love about this, is this treasure specific at any point in this movie? No. <laughs> it's just treasure. And everyone's on board. Treasure, treasure, treasure. It's like they... they it's more the treasure is more specific in Pirates of the Caribbean, <laughs> like, mm. and he's told about this, all of these theories. His dad, played by returning champion John Voight, yes, who's so confusing because I'm a regular guy. I don't believe in this. Your grandfather and your family wasted their time. He seems just as much of a quack. As everyone else. Yeah, he's like a lunatic. He, he ends up being just as on board as any yeah, other person in this movie. Board. Like, he's got treasure fever just like everybody else. Uh, <laughs> ben is given a phrase. The secret lies with Charlotte. And he's convinced about it. Cut to 30 years later. He's an adult. It's Nicolas Cage. Yeah, and <laughs> guess where he's at? It's the freaking Arctic, baby. The freaking Arctic. Strapping. He's with his friend, computer <laughs> expert, Riley Poole, played by the eternal son. the eternally cursed Justin Bartha. <laughs> it's like he wished on a monkey's paw for fame. He got it. But got at what it. cost? What, what cost? <laughs> it's like, yeah, people either know who he is, Riley Poole, or the rapping kid in Geely. Or the guy who gets lost in the Hangover movies. <laughs> the guy who doesn't get to do any of the hijinks in the yeah, Hangover. Yeah, gets to have none of the fun in the Hangover movies. <laughs> and, boy, from the start with Riley, I'm like, man, he still has the stench of Geely all over him. I feel like he's heading to the Baywatch at any moment with this <laughs> yeah. character. Half expecting a rap any, any time to drop. And now we're fascinated. Set this through this entire movie, wondering how on earth this shitty, weird nerd kid has become <laughs> friends with this guy, Nicolas Cage, who's like 10 years older than him at least. Yeah. And they're like the best of pals. I don't know why. I don't know how they hooked up. I always thought it was like an um like a big brother, big sister after school program. Is <laughs> <laughs> where they met. Adopt a nerd. <laughs> Yeah, you adopted this nerd who had no friends. Yeah, well, I think he was just left on his, uh, you know, I think he was just left on his doorstep as a baby. <laughs> yeah, and Nicholas Cage is like, I'll be your friend. Here's the deal, though. I am weird. <laughs> like, I yeah, am, like, I like weird things. I, I, am I, a, I am a like a crazy person myself. So. <laughs> but I'll take care of you, Justin. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> hope you like uh, the works of David McCullough. Cause... <laughs> I know, because we're getting into it, baby. Yeah, hope you're a John Meacham stan. And then, so they're in this, like, tractor out through the Arctic with 
this guy, Ian. Ian Howe, who's played by the great Sean Bean. Oh, he's so much fun in this. So, what is his deal? Who knows? <laughs> he just, who God, oh God only knows. I mean, he's competent. That's one thing. He uh... So, he's described on Wikipedia as an entrepreneur, crime boss, and treasure hunter, who is the former friend of Benjamin Gates. All of those are certainly true within the context of this movie, but does it make any lick of sense or like at all? And Jen called it out. Very, very astute observation while watching this movie. He's basically playing Richard Branson. Like that, that rules. Yeah, which does rule. Yeah. And I you know it. If you caught Sean Bean drunk at some pub, he would freely admit to that. That that was yeah. his inspiration for this role. Mm-hmm. They're heading out there, they find this boat buried in the in the ice. They go in it. It's preserved. They find a pipe. I'm not even going to try and go through all of the machinations of all the clues they find. Yeah. Oh, they're so I love they're bringing back that classic style of just like word association, like like uh, uh, oh, yeah, Cobes, troves, treasure troves. This (laughs) is what this is what drove Cage to the movie. This is where Cage shines when he's just doing word associations and going crazy about it, like. I'm like, this is why he's in this movie. This is why he's the only man. Yes. The only the only actor capable of bringing Benjamin Gates to life. Yeah. And they track it down. And for some reason, like. they OK, so what they realize is that within the ship, but they find this pipe and Gates figures out the next clue. Is on the Declaration of Independence. Mm. And Ian's like, then we'll just fucking steal it. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and Nicolas Cage is like, no, 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 that's a mess. Because Nicolas Cage, above all else, is a proud American. Mm-hmm. Very post-9-11 movie here, too, by mm-hmm. the way. Oh, yeah. Very much so. All of the like the good things about America and the history of America, like all these secret societies, all it really was was about protecting America. Yeah, oh, and protecting uh, the world's treasures because the, the, the layman, the layman is too greedy to touch. Too uh, greedy, <laughs> it is signified by Ian. Uh, so a fight ensues. Justin and uh, Nick are left in the Arctic Circle. Jump cut <laughs> to them in DC, like a literal mm-hmm. jump cut, like which led Jen, another student. How the hell did they get out of the, the Arctic Circle? <laughs> yeah, they just found a way. It's like it's like how did uh, how did uh, you know why does uh, Captain Barbosa in Pirates of the Caribbean have fresh apples on his boat when he's a skeleton man? Who why cares? Does he need, yeah. Why does he need apples? Yeah, because it's fun. Who who cares? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, Ben and Riley realize the only way to stop Sean Bean from stealing mm-hmm. the Declaration of Independence is stealing the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> Stupid movie. Which has led to like 20 years of improv improvisers doing the I'm gonna steal the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, because it's, it's so insane. It's just, as insane as it sounds. And so they go through this labyrinth of thoughts and they meet up with another leading character, Dr. Abigail Chase of the National Archives, a mm. history buff in her own right, played by the lovely and talented Diane Kruger. Her German accent is addressed, which I like, in a very Van Damme kind of way, too. Yeah. 
Like, it's just a throwaway. Like, we need to address it, but we need to address it as quickly as possible. Like, to get yeah, it like, out. How, how is this fireman? Why does this fireman have a, a Belgian accent? Why does this? So they um they do it. It's mm-hmm. like a Mission Impossible style heist and robbery, and they go through it. Abigail gets involved. There's a very nice car chase where she's hanging outside of this, like, uh, truck that Sean Bean's crew's driving and Cage is trying to grab her and very fun. Mm-hmm. Like the the action stuff is pretty good for the most part in the movie. Mm-hmm. And we go through basically what's the Declaration of Independence or has been stolen. We're introduced to FBI special agent Peter Sadusky. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Played by another Academy Academy favorite, Harvey Keitel. The bad lieutenant. The bad lieutenant himself. <laughs> the piano man. Um, FBI Special Agent. Also, Master Freemason. It's uh, to reach Master Freemason level requires quite a bit of secrecy and work. Mm-hmm. How he's also a massive the FBI agent in charge of discovering where the Declaration of Independence went. I'm not sure. Although, mm-hmm. you know, all those guys and like the skull and bones at Yale and stuff like that who all became like the heads of the CIA, all this exists with it. Mm-hmm. Now I'm sounding very like Q pilled. Like it's all there, <laughs> the government. <laughs> it's all connected. <laughs> it's all connected. <laughs> Biden has mummies hidden under his <laughs> the White yeah, House. <laughs> he knows about the mum where are the mummies, Biden. Yeah, where are the where are the scrolls from the Library of Alexandria, Biden? And they dig and dig and dig until they find this like hole in the ground in in uh, Trinity Church in mm. um, passage, endless passage. A guy, of course, has to fall down this giant hole. All sorts of old rusted like wood. It's kind of a neat effect, though. Them jumping around and going through this maze. And Sean Bean leaves them down there. Cage gives him a false clue. Sean Bean mm-hmm. goes to Boston, whereas Cage unlocks the treasure. Mm. And we discover it's just everything. Like it's the treasure of history. Yeah. And uh, they surrender it all in exchange for credit for discovery. No prison sentence and nothing for Abigail. And Ian gets arrested in Boston. Wah, wah. Oh, <laughs> man. And uh, Ben and Abigail have started a very cringy relationship. Yeah, it's a little like, yeah, like Cage, maybe like 15 years too old. Yeah, well, that came up as like Cage as a sexual being. And this happens to movie stars. Like, they do, when they're around long enough, become sexless in mm. a lot of cases. Like, Tom Cruise, it's unimaginable for him to have a romantic relationship in a movie. That's why, like, Top Gun Maverick was so surprising that he actually had one. Because <laughs> otherwise, yeah. it's like, you can't even, like... But you picture Will Smith having a romantic relationship. It's weird. Yeah. It's and same, weird. Same goes with, like... I think, like, maybe, like, Brad Pitt might be the only one. Yeah. I mean, Clooney. Clooney, too. Yeah, Cloon, yeah. Cloon yeah. has that charm. The Cloon dog has charm. that, yeah. Yeah, Cloon dog charm. Cloon dog charm. Uh, <laughs> but Nicolas Cage, like, go back and watch Moonstruck. Go back and watch It Could Happen to You or Honeymoon mm-hmm. in Vegas. 
or Raising Arizona or Wild at Heart. Yeah, or if you're feeling bummed out leaving Las Vegas. But he did have it as a young man. But by the time he had reached his 40s and was in the cage zone, Mm -hmm. like as often as possible, she she just seems so much younger than him too, despite the fact that they're actually not that much younger than each other, but like maybe 10 years. Yeah, it's not like... It's not like the most cringy of things, but it is just enough. It where just you seems feel... like I don't trust. Like he just doesn't seem like a guy who like holds a girl's hand. <laughs> no, he's like obsessed with treasure. He's a weird. Yeah. Man. He he. The only thing he feels comfortable holding in his hand is scrolls. And they have this weird like. Uh, Riley's mad that they only got they they didn't get enough the that they only got a one percent of the finder's fee. But they're all loaded now anyway, and Riley's got a Ferrari, and he's gonna yeah. drive to the he's gonna drive off to the Baywatch. Drive off poorly to the Baywatch. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. just... And um, in general, this movie is like dumb as a box of rocks, but it's serviceable. It's, like, yeah, it's silly. I would call it dumb Da Vinci Code, but it's also funner than Da Vinci Code. Yeah, it's like um, I feel like we throw around a, or I throw around the term amiable time waster a lot, but this is like the perfect definition of that. It's just like yeah. a silly like and um, also my favorite line in the movie is when uh, they're all looking at different treasures and <laughs> Nicolas Cage says something significant like, oh, this is like, you know, Benjamin Franklin's wig and Diane Kruger says like another historical fact like Library of Alexandria Scrolls and then Riley's like a bluish green man with a goat. Yeah, he's like drooling <laughs> while he's doing it too. He's it's like so mouth weird. breathing and drooling. It hugs. He hugs the blue man. He's a silly character. Silly character. Silly actor. Yeah, silly actor. Jeez. Uh, poor this Justin. guy. Like, yeah. Like, I'm sure he's living fine in the Hollywood Hills in a wonderful. Yeah, I mean, you know what? He's good and he has like. Um, he was. Have you ever seen the movie Dark Horse, the Todd Salons movie? No, I never saw that one. He's, he's good in that. He he plays. He's like he plays like he plays like the the good like the the good brother in that movie, and he does a good job. So he's like a decent actor. He has it in yeah. him. So National Treasure was budgeted at hundred million dollars, mm-hmm. made three hundred and forty-seven point five million at the box wow. office. A hit, a very silly hit that your dad and mom loved, mm. like. This is a TNT classic. Oh, you're... for sure. Or Disney Plus classic, I guess now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Another smash hit for Jerry Bruckheimer. And it created <laughs> a franchise. There's a sequel movie, and they just did a TV series on Disney yeah. Plus. TV oh. series canceled after one season, and I can tell you why. Mm-hmm. No, Nicholas Cage. <laughs> you, you need the Cage, man. Not you a... need the. Again, going back to the movie star thing. Like, Cage. You gotta have Cage. Mm-hmm. Uh, has a 46% on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm. Consensus reads, National Treasure is no treasure. But it's a fun ride for those who can forgive its highly improbable plot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's serviceable. Um Roger Ebert gave it two stars and said it was so silly that the Monty Python version could use the same screenplay line for line. Wow. Oh, Ebert. Great stuff. Um, But academic David Bordwell, uh, one of the higher higher level movie critics out there, Mm -hmm. he liked it and said it felt like just a 1950s Disney children's adventure movie. And uh, like a classical movie. And it is. It totally is. It's goofy. It's silly. It flies by. It's too long still. 
at 131 minutes. This is a long episode because we every movie we covered was too fucking long. Yeah, it was like a day's worth of content we were watching. It is yeah. Yeah. Uh but again, um oh and apparently um Bruckheimer said a third film is still in development. Hmm. And uh Cage was asked in April of twenty twenty two about it and uh he said that uh, they turned it, the priority into a TV show, so he's probably not going to be involved because Cage, Cage is a movie star, baby. He doesn't. Do yeah, when well, it's like, man, they just think you can't, you can't keep the cage out of the box. It just no. you gotta like it. That's this movie. Ninety percent of this film's charm stems from Cage goofiness. Yeah. And his like total commitment to this very fanciful, silly character and world. He's one of he's one of the best actors alive, and he can make. You know, gold out of anything, treasure yeah. out of anything, if you will. Mm, yeah. John Turtletaub is an interesting director. He uh, just a very like serviceable Hollywood guy mm-hmm. uh, has directed everything from three ninjas to cool runnings to while you are sleeping to instinct. The movie where uh, Anthony Hopkins thinks he's like a gorilla um, to the That's Meg. He did the Meg. Wow. And his most recent thing was in 2020, he did an ad for the Lincoln Project. Oh, oh. I mean, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. He's yeah. on some TV, but he's he seems like he's moving into TV directing and but very successful director. Yeah, actually, I want to do. I want to say so. Like so, Cage's character, he wouldn't have been a Jan Six. He would have been a Lincoln Project. He would have been a Link. He would have been like a. I'm respectable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But and then all, you find, but, yeah. <laughs> but that's like kind of tried and true with the Jerry Bruckheimer world of uh, old school Republican politics. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which infiltrate all of his movies, like pro America, pro military, but not lunatic. Well, but lunatic, but actually lunatic. Yeah, uh, secretly. <laughs> lunatic, lunatic in the sheets. Yeah. Yeah, lunatic in the sheets, baby. Um, but he's riding high. Mm-hmm. You know, these are hits that these these are more hits. You know, two thousand five, Jerry. Um oh in two thousand three he also put out Kangaroo Jack. Wild. Um two thousand but two thousand five, no releases, but three releases in two thousand six. Deja mm-hmm. vu, Glory Road, the basketball movie that's basically Remember the Titans, but for basketball, and uh the Pirates of the Caribbean sequel. Mm. So he's in it. He's still, still swinging for the fences. Still making a ton of money, nonstop. But firmly, kind of has moved into the franchise world, the the modern blockbuster world. He sees the writing on the wall. He's evolved with the times. Yes, he has continued the. So he's sticking with National Treasure. He's sticking with pirates. He's sticking with bad boys. That you know. Mm. And we'll see where he takes things from there. In our next installment of A Visionary Alliance coming soon to the Academy Academy. If you think this was way too fucking long, and we probably should have moved it into two parts, um, so check in with us at the Academy Academy Podcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at the Academy. Uh This was a long one, but these are long movies. Yeah. Next week, next week on the show, we are back to a single movie, and it's a single movie I am pumped for. Scott, mm. Scott. Origins Part 2, we're watching Prometheus for next Ooh. week's episode. I am pumped. I don't know about I'm you. S- 
I am so stoked. I cannot wait. Me too. Jen said, don't you, haven't you seen that movie a lot? And I was like, yes. And I'm going to watch it again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> going to keep like seeing it, it a lot. Because <laughs> I like Prometheus. <laughs> it's uh, good to me. Because <laughs> it's good to me. It treated me right. Um, <laughs> it's currently on Hulu. It can be rented through all the services. It's on Blu-ray. I will be watching my Blu-ray copy because naturally I do own Prometheus. <laughs> um, <laughs> week after that, we have a gigantic episode. Um, I'm coming into it bittersweet feelings, though. Mm -hmm. We're covering 2010's Unstoppable in the weekend after that. Ooh. Um, it's a great movie. I am pumped for it, but we also know it's Tony Scott's final movie. Mm -hmm. This will be the end of our ride with Tony Scott. Which bums me out completely. We will get into, you know, talk about it ahead of time. We're going to talk about what happened to him. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's sad. Um, so beat ready. Listeners, mm -hmm. you know, give you two it's weeks. It's a bummer. Two week lead time. Uh, Unstoppable is an amazing movie. I'm going to watch my mm -hmm. Blu-ray. Uh, but it's on Hulu right now as well. Mm -hmm. And can be rented through all of the usual services. We're also going to do a definitive Tony Scott rankings countdown to close Ooh. out that episode. So be ready for that. We'll sum it all up for Tony. But we're Scott Scott's not over. Ridley's got a hell of a lot more movies to discuss. And we'll keep going with that, keep going with these other series. But sadly, in two weeks' time, we'll be our final Tony Scott episode. Mm -hmm. So bittersweet. For I sure. love, co love covering Tony. Love Unstoppable, but Wish he was. Wish we wish he was around. You know, at the end oh, of the for day, sure. for he's sure. given us. He's given us a ton of gifts, and I wish he could have been around to see um, the way the last ten years has treated his career. The yeah. the fandom, the people who really have like made it vocally clear just how special his movies are. Yeah, the critical reevaluation. Yeah, and uh, that would have been. I think it would have warmed his heart. To have seen that but we'll get into that in the future we'll let you we'll let you go now my voice is done um <laughs> yo ho ho for patrick i'm done we will see you next week on the academy academy all right uh i'm gonna drink this bottle of rum head straight to the baywatch <laughs>